Did Don Draper really buy the world a Coke? Did Tony Soprano really die or just order more onion rings? Were those guys really in hell the whole time or was that just the audience? The finales of our favorite shows can make us argue, make us cry, and make us crazy. From Spotify and The Ringer, I'm Andy Greenwald, and this is Stick the Landing, a new podcast where we'll be telling the story of modern TV backwards, one fade out at a time. Each episode, a guest and I will choose a celebrated series from history, from the 70s to the streaming era and beyond, and do a deep dive on its very last episode. Was it all a dream? Did it turn into a nightmare? And most importantly, what can we learn about tomorrow's new shows from the way yesterday's ended? TV is a journey. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast about the destination. Starting January 17th, find Stick the Landing on Wednesdays on the Prestige TV feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Rewatchables is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can hear Stick the Landing. The new podcast from Andy Greenwald about TV finales. You still cranking that out? Apparently. You just started cranking that out. That's available on the Prestige TV feed. The Rewatchables is not brought to you by GQ Magazine. Wow. But that's where our buddy Zach Barron works. And Zach, Andy, and I, we all go back a long time. We love the Eagles. We treasure our mental stability. I'm not going to fight. <laughs> so Bill thought it would be funny if we did a pod together and released it as the Eagles played the Bucks in the wildcard rounds. It's all fucking ruined now! <laughs> it's ruined! It's Silver Linings Playbook. Tiffany's coming over. What happened to Tommy? He died. Don't bring it up. Tiffany! You look nice. How Tommy died. No. What meds are you on? I used to be on lithium. I was on Xanax. Did you ever take Klonopin? Klonopin, yeah. On November 16th. Don't let Tiffany get you in trouble. She's my friend. Wait, what's happening? Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, and Chris Tucker. When life reaches out with a moment like this, it's a sin if you don't reach back. What's this? What? I thought you were doing it. Oh, I thought you were doing it. Silver Linings Playbook. Rated R. Select cities November 16th. All right, guys, here we are. Silver Linings Playbook, a little bit about why we're here, right? About a month ago, I got a text message from Bill that said, hey, would you host Silver Linings Playbook with you and Andy Greenwald and Zach Barron? It's on Tubi right now. I thought it would be funny going into an just, Eagles playoff. Just for the record, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. But but this is Bill. He's on a plane. He's, I don't know, somehow watching Tubi. Mm-hmm. And this, is, this, this tickled his interests. I... I'm happy to be doing this movie. I love this movie. I love Philadelphia sports. I love you guys. So this is enjoyable. But there, there is an element of humiliation. I, I, you hear the words ritual <laughs> humiliation. I feel like my whole life I've heard the words ritual humiliation. I never really understood what that meant until I contemplated what we were being asked. <laughs> I, I'm excited because how many of these have you done? How many rewatchables? In the hundreds. Hundreds, yeah. This is the first one to double as evidence in an OSHA complaint. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> because this is workplace harassment. I don't even work here and I'm being harassed. This is unbelievable. Uh, Bill's got an interesting sense of humor when it comes to other sports fan bases, mm-hmm. especially Philadelphia, who he has like a special place in hell for. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, on one hand, I'm really glad he's not here. I, I don't think it would have gone well for all of us. Hearing him talk about the Sixers and the Eagles on his podcast is like having my fingernails pulled out. Mm-hmm. But you know, it is it is make it allows these Philly guys to be alone for too long, and some weird things can happen. 
I think that it's... Does, is he aware of our just deeply psychologically wrecked text thread that we have? Like, we have a group chat. Yeah. That is... Yeah. I think he I'll speak for so. myself. I think yeah. he can Unwell. assume the, the existence. Yeah. And so I think the opportunity to make our private pain public might be helpful. It might be healthy. I mean, the Solitano family helpful comes to, through the Simmons or to us? <laughs> I'm choosing at the start of this to think of this as an opportunity. Okay. For so growth. for context, obviously, Andy and I do the Watch podcast together. Zach, me, Andy, we're all longtime friends. We're all from Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. uh, and we all have a really healthy, yeah. balanced relationship with the Eagles. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, I actually do think it's kind of funny to talk a little bit about our sports fandom because this is going to come into the, mm -hmm. po the pod, <laughs> the, the discussion of the movie in such a big way. Um, who wants to go first in talking about their relationship to the Philadelphia Eagles? I'm crying already, so I feel like Zach should go first. I'm already... Yeah, I mean, it's probably the most unhealthy relationship in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, including the one with the two of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... And that's probably life, lifetime true. I feel like I love all Philly sports, but the Eagles are a particular flavor of disappointment and exhilaration that I cannot quit and get only more addicted to um, the longer life goes on. Yeah, you've been a victim of the more information sports fans have gotten. Mm -hmm. I think it's made you more racked with like, not, I just like kind of stress and like interest with the team. Like as you've gotten like more talk about Lane Johnson's leverage technique or whatever, or the different defenses that Sean Desai and Matt Patricia run. Like, I feel like you go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Oh yeah, absolutely. Shout out our friends at Philly Special. They do a beautiful job. Sheila and Ben, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. And I also like, it's like, and we'll, we'll talk about it like a lot, but it's like the, one of the great things about Silver Lines Playbook is like, it nails that way that your life can be totally organized by the sports team that plays in your city. And it's like, it's ridiculous and it makes no sense, but it also is like 1000% indisputably true. And like, when I think about, from when I think about the year this film came out, I can tell you what happened with the Eagles. When I think <laughs> about the Eagles season chronicled in the film, I could tell you exactly yes. what that felt like. And those are like my memories. And, and, and I, will remember this current Eagle season for the rest of my life. I wish I, I wish mm -hmm. I, I wish that weren't true, but I can feel it like already just like grafting itself onto my bones and I will not be able to get rid of it. I, I don't want to make light of addiction, which uh -huh. is a serious thing, but I do feel like my relationship to this team is, could be couched in those terms. And to be fair, there's probably no better movie to uh, make light of serious mental issues in context of, because sure. this movie does it better than just about anyone in recent history. But I feel like there's a lot of magical thinking involved in my life with sports where I'm like, this time I'm going to do it right. This time I'm just going to enjoy hanging out with my guys. <laughs> because for as much as Zach likes Lane Johnson's leverage technique, I'm like, Lane Johnson has struggled. Lane Johnson's personal story is meaningful to me and I care for him. I only care about human interest stories. My all 22 is just 22 heart emojis around Jalen Hurts' head. <laughs> and so every time I get drawn into one of these seasons, I'm like, I'll, I'll be healthier this time. Yeah. I'll be fine. I will not take my fragile emotional being and, in, and just hand it over to Matt Patricia. Right. I have a young child right now. Yes. And this is, it's been a great like mirror because he'll be like in the room when I'm either thinking about mm. or watching the Eagles and I'm like, 
you have to control yourself. Yes. And I and I basically like like it, it you just see another person you're like, "Wow, the energy coming off me right now is insane." <laughs> <laughs> and a, a small unprotected child is like not ready for this level of insanity. But he's like, "Why is dad so angry?" Well, he or why is dad and and Chris so angry? Yeah, he's, or he's, why are dad and Chris <laughs> tackling each other yeah. and crying with like joy? I think I'm somewhere in the middle between the two of you guys. I don't really look to the Eagles uh for parasocial relationships yeah. or nor is it important to me that they like one another. I also uh, expect and welcome mm. an amount of pain with with like watching sports. Like I, to me, yeah. it's like that's being being 15 and two or whatever is not actually like realistic sports fandom. Like and I, I don't mind it, uh, the record that the Eagles have this season, which is 11 and six. I'm fine with that. Like if you told me they were going to be eleven and six at the beginning of the season, I would have been like, "Sounds like a pretty good." What season. about when they were ten and one? That yeah, <laughs> I know. That's the that's the thing is that it's all about like how the season plays out. It's not about this, where this it, is it, a good point, and I think the movie did sort of remind me of some things. Um, one of which being football seasons used to be kind of normal. Yeah, in the sense that I was not following every team in the league all the time. <laughs> I, I was not familiar with what any technique anyone a, was doing was. TV that played four games at once no, in your and face. No, so the yeah. 2008 season, which is chronicled in the movie Silver Linings Playbook, like, they were bad a lot of the season. Yeah. And then they got good at the right time, and they backed into the playoffs, and then they almost went to the Super Bowl. And my experience of football as a younger person was more limited. Like, let's go get them this week. And then, you know, we would plunge into a Sunday depression in Brooklyn, usually when Andy Reid bungled the clock. But like, then my life went on. Yeah. It, 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 this, this sort of feast or famine where it's everything all the time and our team has been so wildly good that the expectations are out of whack has not been, not been healthy for me. I had an interesting experience recently. So I've, I've probably lived, I'm 46, I've lived outside of Philadelphia longer than I've lived in Philadelphia yeah. at this point. Uh, when you live out in Los Angeles, especially with uh, East Coast football, you have the luxury of sometimes seeing those games at like 10 a.m. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a lot of games where like you're done by one. You can move on with your day. It's still sunny out. You your know, like sex son is staring at your you. Your significant others and family may expect things from you where they're like, now let's go about like a normal weekend. Yeah. That's not really the case on the East Coast. That's no. not really the case, especially in Philadelphia. And I recently went home to go see my mom. And it was, uh, I got in on a Sunday and the Monday night was the Seahawks game where the Eagles lost to Drew Locke uh, in Seattle. Yeah, I remember that. And it was a Monday night game. So it started at like 8, 15.30 or whatever, East Coast time. Mm -hmm. And I was like still watching the Eagles at like 11 p.m. basically. By the way, we've played like nine Monday night games this year. Think about what it's like for people who actually live And, and the end of that game was chef's kiss. I mean, that's really what you tuned in for. But that was like... Five minutes. The, the, to be back in Philadelphia mm -hmm. for that, and it wasn't like I went outside and like everybody walked out of their houses to have like a post game like commiseration about it, but like the vibe, especially in late December Philadelphia, it was a different kind of experience than you have when you're here. So you, we're all like these kind of like wrecked men who are mm -hmm. washed up on the shores of sports fandom. Or just walk. imagine what it would be like if we still lived in Philly. At least you get to go to bed after that Monday night game <laughs> in Philly. <laughs> Here you have to like put on the the face of a man who's not destroyed <laughs> the and like go about the rest of, a, of your a normal day. person. <laughs> Just like the Hannibal Lecter face of a guy who's just like, a normal okay. person mask. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I think that the movie does a good job of of communicating to the world that after a certain point, like not too long after Labor Day, every single thing in Philadelphia is the color of the Ben Franklin Bridge. Yeah, from the sky to people's faces to the inside of your heart. They absolutely nail that. And that gray concrete sky, which is in like 90% yes. of the, the shots in this film, is like exactly what it's like. And it just hits different. Like here, you're right. Like it, as, as much as I do not feel like a whole person when my team blows it, yeah. you walk outside, it's golden, it's nice out. You can sort of anesthetize yourself a little bit. Sure. Yeah, you can go take a jog or whatever. This but, movie... Uh, but as, the rod is inside of us. This movie, is, as, uh, as we've alluded to, it was a 2012 film this is the second straight 2012 movie we've done mm. uh, on the Rewatchables. We did Flight last time. You could make an argument that this may be the last great Rewatchables era that we've experienced in terms of like these movies that I think have had second, third, fourth lives on cable and Netflix mm -hmm. that you can watch this 30-minute clip like chunk of or this five-minute scene of and just get like a little like little adrenalized from it. I think this movie definitely fits into that category of like there are parts of this film that, like, if it's on, I'm going to stick through to watch, like, I, I need mm -hmm. to see Shea Wiggum come down the stairs. Uh, as Andy said, this movie tracks the 2008 Philadelphia Eagles season, and it's uh, it's about Pat Solitano's attempts to reconcile with his estranged wife after he leaves a mental institution in Baltimore. Pat has bipolar disorder and has suffered from panic attacks and experiences somewhat violent outbursts at mm. times. He eventually finds meaning and connection in his life through Tiff Evans, a young widow played by Jennifer Lawrence, who is going through her own mental health struggles. He partners with her in a dance competition on the condition that Tiff helps him win back his ex, Nikki. But it turns out that Tiff is, in fact, his silver lining. That's Aww. my synopsis of this movie. And I want to just quote a, a piece of journalism that was written about mm. this film uh, at the time of its release. The ways in which Pat, in his pitiable mix of out-of-control rage and deranged optimism, is a product of his struggling underdog city and the maddening football franchise that it hosts will probably be obvious to most readers of this site and lost on a solid percentage of non-sports fans who go see the movie. You have to know Philly, know the Eagles to really get it. How each of these characters is simultaneously badly scarred and up for more punishment. <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook is a few different movies at once, but once those one of those movies is about the complicated interplay between a city's sports teams and a city's citizens, the way that over time the two start resembling one another. That was written by Zach Barron yeah. for a little website called Grantland. Yeah. Great paragraph. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Good job by yeah. you. Yeah. We're, you know, I wasn't always washed up. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you still think that that's true? Uh, do you still think that they're in this day and age of like, Everything has become national coverage. We're aware of the Buffalo Bills quarterback depth chart. Mm -hmm. I know, like, Tank Dell got hurt, so that's going to affect C.J. Stroud's blah, blah, blah. Like, do you still have this tunnel vision and this relationship to the Eagles in a way, even though you live on the other side of the country? Yes. Yeah, I know. Very much Somewhat so. Of a rhetorical question. I also, like, I think that... That... Like the collapse that the team is enduring right now, mm -hmm. or not? Because this is coming out the night of the Bucks game. We could we could be talking about. I think the damage is done. Sailing into the divisional round. <laughs> uh -huh. That's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, so Excelsior. <laughs> yeah. Excelsior. Um, Excelsior. Um, yeah, like like the way in which this is happening feels very unique to the Eagles. Yeah, and feels very unique to the like just the the Philadelphian in all of us who is like 
this is going good and it's about to go mm-hmm. real bad. And when it goes bad, I'm not going to be surprised. You know, like, it's just like uh, my fate has arrived. I'm going to feel more safe. Yeah. There's and, an assumption that it's going to And go I just bad. like, like, you can know everything about the Chargers. This isn't like built into the vocabulary of, of like what it, what the Chargers franchise represents. Right. You know, it, and there's just, there's just like something still I find very unique about your team, your city. And if you grew up there, the way that like certain things just got drummed into you and will never come out of you. Yeah, it's right there in the beginning of the movie when they say your teams have an inferiority complex. I mean, I think that one of the genius things about the film is that while certain players are mentioned and we're going to mention those players and I wish we were all wearing that one player's jersey, the movie is about the 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 cultural attachment to an institution that represents something year in and year out, Sunday to Sunday, and the relationship with whoever is suiting up and what we expect from them and what they do to us and why we keep coming back uh, for more. And I feel like people who aren't from Philadelphia, I mean, every city has its story, every city has its psychology. But the analogy I always tell people is the degree to which Philadelphia ingrained feels like a little brother. The way that everyone in Philadelphia walks around with a chip on their shoulder about New York City and New York City doesn't think about Philadelphia at right. all. At all. Right. Ever. Uh, th- that is baked I ju- in. I just watched the Giants game, the, the good one, not the bad one, right. with uh, a family of Giants fans. And the, the extent to which, like, they were like, oh, it's the Eagles. I was, like, kind of shocked. I was like, don't you guys <laughs> yes. hate this? And don't you, don't you guys want to see Jalen Hurts writhing in pain and all the other things <laughs> that, like, we say during the Cowboys games or during during no. Washington games or during da- uh, Giants games, and it was just like they they didn't like it, but they were like they they had a much healthier relationship. I thought to the rivalry, yeah, and it permeates the town. And by the way, I think all three of us we love the city of Philadelphia, and I think it's a it's, it's a beautiful place, and and there's a lot of great food and art and culture, and the teams are doing generally pretty well. Yeah, and the vibes at the baseball stadium are very different than they used to be, and like it's all good, but somewhere deep in the heart of even the even the greenest, biggest snouted fanatic, there is just an unrelenting reservoir of bile that it just is always going to be there. And even winning the Super Bowl, which apparently did happen. Yeah. I was with you guys. <laughs> One of you tackled me. Yeah. Uh, didn't wash it away. Didn't wash it away, right? Because even that team feels like, it feels like a fluke. It feels bizarre that that happened. It feels like we got away with one. I disagree with that, but that's not really what this podcast is about. Like, I still feel <laughs> like we're still in the, like, what Bill used to term it like this five-year grace period where you basically, after a championship, you weren't really allowed to complain. He does not follow his own rules. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not but buying that. I think it's interesting that how no matter really what success you experience mm-hmm. as a sports fan, like most sports fans are happier being unhappy than they are happy. You know, like Bill has, in the last 15 years that I've known him, Bill has experienced more sports joy mm-hmm. than he had in his entire life leading up to that than most people will ever experience in their entire lives. And he still remembers exactly what happened in a 2011, like late season Celtics game or every single thing that the Patriots did or didn't do right when they've like rarely lost a Super Bowl or lost in the playoffs. And he references them like they happened yesterday because you hold on to the anger and you hold on to the pain more than you hold on to the joy, which I think this movie illustrates really well. And this movie is also coming off of, um, was made during the tail end of and is about 
you know, the back the back nine of the Andy Reid years, which were by any like normal fan metric, wildly successful oh, yeah. of being always in the mix of, oh, you know, making the playoffs year after year of making all those championship games, making it to the Super Bowl. But formatively, it's the most Philadelphia stretch imaginable, right? Because something always went wrong. Yes. Something always, always broke the wrong way, whether it was uh, Tio's leg or something else. Like it just never <laughs> quite worked. And that feeling, I mean, to, this is this is why I'm broken. But like my number one memory of those years is losing the NFC championship game in the last game at the at the vet, right? To the to the Bucks. Even that, the yes. not the next year when we went to the Super Bowl. What I remember is that was our moment and what it felt like when it wasn't. Yeah. Even the season depicted in this film, mm-hmm. 2008, which the the Dallas game that the film ends on is yeah. like a, one of the truly great Eagles days in the last like two decades. But what I really remember from that season is Larry Fitzgerald ripping our heart out. Yeah. In the it's Kurt Warner, right? Kurt Warner, yeah. Larry Fitzgerald, Arizona. I think Larry Fitzgerald had like 400 yards. Yeah. And and I still remember him just like running through our defense. I, I think I definitely think we watched that game in a bar in Brooklyn, and I like just just walked out into the abyss afterwards, um, <laughs> to a bus lane. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about the movie. So this was um, a 2008 novel by Matthew Quick. Uh, it was optioned by Sidney Pollack and Anthony Mihaly, who were gonna who were looking at different ways of of adapting it, and they brought in David O. Russell to work on the script and 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 direct. He did something like 20 drafts of the script over the year, over the years, uh, trying to find the right tone. And it went through tons of different permutations of casting, which we'll get to. But we wind up with this movie that's directed in, uh, by David O. Russell that stars Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence with Jackie Weaver and Robert De Niro in supporting roles. And what you get in this movie, um, I kind of like think about it sometimes as like, if you listen to a lot of really like ironic arch indie rock for a while, and then you Go listen on. to an emo record, like there is some kind of gear shift in this movie mm-hmm. that at the time and even today when I watch it now, the emotional vulnerability and the sheer like foregrounding of everybody, like how they're feeling, and it's all in their faces, but it's also in the way that the characters talk is really refreshing. You know, like, I still find it really, like, a breath of fresh air for whatever flaws the film has. Like, they don't really, like, I don't really see a lot of movies that are like this. No, no. And even then, it's not like there were a lot. Like, this is this is a David O. Russell special. Yeah. You know, like, Huckabees is like this. You know, even Three Kings, like, has a little bit of this. Obviously, uh, American Hustle, which is the movie he does after this, yeah. is a lot like this. And Amsterdam, which was, like, two years ago, not a very successful movie. But it has that same quality of, it's like zany, it's madcap, but like what it's about, it's about ideas. You know, it's about Excelsior, it's about Amsterdam, it's about the idea of utopia, it's about the idea of romantic love. And it's like all the characters are chasing a feeling. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not trying to get a bag of money. They're trying to like balance the insanity in their head against the love they feel in their heart and and like even it out. And that's, that's like a really hard thing to do. And that's like what they're all striving to do, and and he's like unembarrassed, and also really gifted at making movies like about that. We know a lot of filmmakers make movies about feelings, you know. Yeah, but, but it's also this struck me on the rewatch, like it's it's very old fashioned in a lot of ways, and that helped oh, that that helped me get my arms back around it, you know. Friend, we'll talk about some of the things that maybe didn't age as well, or that I bumped on in the beginning of the rewatch, but 
this is a guy who grew up loving screwball comedies. I mean, there's a there's the, the pitter patter of dialogue, the sort of the the wink wink innuendo, the idea that you can save yourself through dance. Yeah, I mean, all of this is like Preston Sturges. Right. The, the thing, the thing in the rain is is literally shown yeah. like they, multiple times in this film. Yeah, yeah. and they do yeah. the dance number. Yeah, I mean, it, and I think that you have to watch the movie through. The, that lens, which is not something that I think I was considering when I was watching it 10 years ago, um, or modern audiences might not even be familiar with the references. So it might, I just remember it being covered in a way that was like, oh, this is sort of radical, the way he's breaking this down, and he's he's going right for the jugular and right for the heart. But it, in fact, it's kind of a throwback movie. Well, well yeah, well, I mean, the t- the, and the two of them, the, the bantering, the it's, it's 1930s screwball comedy all the way. Um, and so is the plot, because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it, when I read that synopsis, like, if you hadn't seen this film or if you haven't seen this movie in a long time, I think the, the things that stick with you are uh, Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro and their relationship to the Eagles, and then obviously, yes. like, Bradley Cooper and his relationship to the Jennifer Lawrence character. But you forget that the second half of the movie is essentially preparing for and executing a dance competition number, and that there is just this almost, like, improvisatory unfolding of the plot that's like grabbing things off of like a mm-hmm. a corkboard like index cards like let's do dance let's do uh like chris tucker's here and let's do this and it's like it doesn't actually like make sense on paper but it makes sense on screen and there's also an element that i think could be jarring which is like he's doing a screwball classic film with the safe search filters off yeah. so i don't like i i haven't seen the philadelphia story in a while i don't remember cary grant beating a guy nearly to death with his boots right um, so, you know, it, but there's it, a lot of darkness in that film too. Yes, I, it actually is like, I do, you know, we'll talk about like double feature or something later, but mm-hmm. I think that, I think like that's kind of the answer. Cause it's like two very badly damaged people who occasionally are willing to hurt each other very badly. That's true. And, but then ultimately find connection. And I, I mean, I think there, there, there's apparently like an even darker version of this film that they, they shot, mm-hmm. like where they had De Niro kind of even angrier i think the the novel is darker too yeah like i think in the novel pat's away for like four years which there's almost like vestiges of that in their reaction to pat coming home where they're like whoa what? he's What's home this? yeah like like as if he's been away on a bid but like mm-hmm. in the movie i think it's supposed to be like something like four months or a couple of months yeah it's eight months it's eight months it's okay eight months. and and um i don't know if you can make it much darker like you can tell that they kind of yes they they found the outer limit of of being able to do that and have it still work. Yeah, and I think that that's why some of Russell's maybe more recent films like have failed. You know, I mean, not necessarily failed box office wise, but failed to connect with audiences in a big time way. I mean, like to me, this is pretty much as good as he gets. I think. Um, I agree. I, I have like a real soft spot for Huckabees. I think me based too. on like where I was in my life and also like not really seeing a lot of movies that did what Huckabee's did at the time. And obviously, David O. Russell's, like, um, the public persona of him as a filmmaker has sort of aged poorly. I suppose we'll get mm-hmm. into that in What's Aged the Worst. But in Bradley Cooper, he kind of finds the perfect radio tower. Like, he finds the actor who almost, like, perfectly captures the Cassavetes meets Cameron Crowe tone mm-hmm. that he's going for. And Zach, you've had you know experiences like writing about Bradley Cooper, not only just writing about his movies as a critic, but interviewing him. And I was curious whether, without like speculating, how much do you thought like Pat Solitano is like a like a perfect extension of who he is? Yeah. So I think about this all the time to this day. Uh, 
when I, I did a story on um, Bradley Cooper for GQ, and one of the people I talked to for that story, and this was for American Hustles, the year after this movie okay. came out, it was 2014. So it was like very, very fresh. I, I talked to David O. Russell uh, for that story, and I remember he said something that I, I still think about all the time in regards to Bradley Cooper, which is he talked about his performance in Wedding Crashers, I mm-hmm. believe, and he was like, this guy seemed really, really angry to me. And then I met him, (laughs) and I talked to him, and he was like, yeah, I'm really, really angry. Yeah. And particularly when I shot that movie, I was, like, heavier than I was now. I was, like, more unhappy with myself than I was now, and I was really, really angry. Which is things that Pat talks about. Like, Pat in the Silver Linings is, like, Mm -hmm. shedding weight is, like, the most important thing he can do. Yes. So they ported, like, a lot of what was actually going on with Bradley Cooper into this film. And, And I think great directors do this. But, like, if you look at Bradley Cooper's career before this, it's a lot of hangover movies. Mm-hmm. He's in a movie called Midnight Meat Train. Yeah, which makes He's, him a cameo in this film, yeah. Yeah, and and it, and it he, again, I, and I've talked to him about this, was not, like, happy about that track. No, he, he was, was banging around off for of, 10 years. Written yeah. off of Alias. Yeah. You know, like, off of a off a TV show. And so there's a person who's unhappy in his life, unfulfilling his career, and David O. Russell says, hey, there's this thing about you that's really interesting. You're being, you're being cast as a, a frat guy. Mm-hmm. You're being cast as a a Vegas cargo shorts jock. Vapid pretty boy. Yeah. But actually, there's like an anger inside of you. And also like a desire to improve yourself. Yeah. And they live side by side. And I am going to put that on screen. And Bradley Cooper's career after this is never the same. He's nominated for an Oscar for this movie. And he goes on to basically only do prestige stuff with great directors or stuff he's done himself. And or this is voice a raccoon. Yeah. And yeah. this is and yeah. <laughs> Which might yeah. be his best performance. Yeah, I do. Wolf. I do love that raccoon. Um and this is the this is the turning point. This is David O. Russell saw it and put it on screen. He saw what Bradley Cooper was truly great at and you see it in this movie. And it's amazing. And it is very much rooted in like a true thing about Bradley Cooper. There's a lot of that in this movie, I think, which is like making anything creatively is lightning in a bottle. But you have to see something. A director usually has to see something and then communicate it to the audience. Right. And it's not just seeing it in Bradley Cooper. It's seeing it in Jennifer Lawrence, who was absolutely not right for the part as it was written. It was way too young. But he understood that she would bring something that was necessary to it. Um, It's even in the tone that we're talking about. Like, how do you find that line? How do you find how do you communicate a very, very dark story uh, in a way that's going to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to watch David O. Russell's career after it because he is, to a degree, chasing that chemistry, right? He's like, I my sensibilities haven't changed. Why can't I calibrate it exactly right? And I feel like, while he's made good to decent to good movies since, like, I don't know if he's ever got the dials right the way he got it in this one. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that's a fault of his. I just think it's really hard. And it doesn't seem like, I mean, the sort of... S- tightness of screenplays and never really seemed to matter to him that much. I mean, his movies are screenplays rambling matter, all yeah. over the place. It sounds like he does a lot of finding of the film, both on the set when he's shooting and then in the editing room when he decides, like, the tone of the film. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned Jennifer Lawrence, uh, so we should talk about her before we get into the categories. Because I forgot that this was the same year as Hunger Games. Um, and obviously, we can get into, like, Apex Mountain stuff. But I was kind of reminded, you know, she's been quote-unquote with us for the better part of a decade now and she's kind of like not only a staple of movie theaters but is kind of taken on like she's a celebrity she's like she's like she's memefied she's when she goes on hot ones she does great appearances at award shows she just was like if i don't win i'm leaving at the golden globes she's been on the rewatchables she's been on the rewatchables Mm -hmm. 
it was uh it was wild to go back to this and see the raw uncut. Like this is, is this is it, man. Yeah. This is th- and and again, we can talk about Apex Mountain stuff later, but like what she's doing in this movie is awesome. Yeah. And the fact that there's like a record of like 21-year-old Jennifer Lawrence absolutely throwing heat like with Bradley Cooper but like in scenes with Robert De Niro just like standing up and and firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. is awesome to see. She's a five-tool player in this movie. Like she can make you laugh, make you cry, scare you. She dances. She can do very written mount monologues like the Juju one that she does to De Niro, but she can also be like, you're fucking killing me to Julia Stiles. And you're like, is this Jenna Rollins? Like, holy shit. Like, this is really, really, really just such a raw human experience. And an extremely funny performance. And it's an extremely funny performance. And she's 21 when yes. she makes this? Or 20 yeah. when they film she's it? Or 20, 20, I think she's 21 when they film it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Probably again, Cooper 37. It's not a, it, not a big deal, but... but it works. I mean, that's that, that. It's one of the more amazing recent examples of like none of this makes any sense. But I guess David Russell was committed, and he was right. Yeah. Well, we should also mention that I think one of the reasons why Cooper is so resonant in this film is that he is also a Philadelphian and is also an Eagles fan. Is probably their most famous fan right now uh, since Taylor Swift decided to become a Chiefs fan. So uh, rejecting her <laughs> Pennsylvania heritage. Cooper often seen at. Eagles games, like he is, he's sort of stuck with the program after after this movie. He's from Abington. He's from Abington. He's from Abington. Um, legitimate, real, like bona fide Eagles fan. Yeah. Um, did you vet him when you were with him? Did you like? He vetted me. Did he really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like it was honestly like you know, with Philly people can go two ways. Uh, and he and I talked about this. It can either be like we're brothers for life, which kind of I think represents the the, the this table, for instance, sure. people talking right now, mm-hmm. or it's like kind of like we're probably going to fight at this bar. <laughs> and he and I were both kind of laughing. Like, I think we're like in the fight category. Yeah. I think we are. Yeah, we, we kind of are. And it's like that kind of like you're puffing out your chest and he's puffing out his chest. And we're like, it, it was actually the, the day I interviewed, I remember was like when Nick falls through, I think seven touchdowns against the Raiders. Uh-huh. Was it seven? Uh, and we were like talking about that. Who's counting, you know? Yeah, yeah who's, who's counting? Who remembers that? Uh, and we're like, kind of like both, both excited about it, but yeah. also like somehow like disagreeing already about over it. what it meant. <laughs> yeah, over what it went. But he's a he's a real he's a real Philly dude. Uh, this movie made more than two hundred million dollars worldwide. What a time to be alive! It's insane. Uh, On like it, a what like a twenty million dollar budget. Yeah, or something. I mean it's 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 a pretty incredible moment where this flight Argo Zero Dark Thirty like these sort of big studio dramas are getting into the hundreds of millions of box office returns. But also, does this trajectory even happen anymore? Because it premiered at Toronto at the end of 2012, right? And then it won the P- it won the audience award. Everyone's like, oh, people are talking. Yeah. People are talking. There's good buzz. And then there was still a infrastructure of theaters that it's like, does the slow release and starts making money and people love it. Yeah, and people I think love you it even and it referenced like a in your Grantland article, like, this is finally out. It's been kind of trickling out for a while. They platformed it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you could like read a review about it, but a lot of places you couldn't see it and... Um. Yeah, it like went wide like at the end of December. Look, right around Christmas, perfect time. People say a lot of bad things about Harvey Weinstein, but <laughs> the guy could platform a awards movie. This got uh, the big five Oscar noms. Uh, pick, director, actor, actress, script. It won, uh, Jennifer Lawrence won for actress. Mm-hmm. Um, also had a supporting actor for De Niro and supporting actress for Jackie Weaver. Nomination, Correct. not Nominations, not, yeah. Not so only won the one. Uh, Roger Ebert, three and a half stars. 
Hmm. We're fully aware of the plot conventions at work here, the wheels and gears churning within the machinery. But with these actors, this velocity, and the oblique economy of the dialogue, we realize we don't often see it done this well. Silver Linings Playbook is so good, it could almost be a terrific old classic. There it is. There you go. That's why it's on the rewatchables. We take a quick break, and we'll come back and do the categories. Most rewatchable scene. So, as Andy said right before we started the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, an almost like frenetic burst of scenes. So it's like hard to sometimes say like, "Oh, this is the iconic moment." And there's a lot of iconic moments in this movie, but the scenes themselves like bleed. They're fast. It's a really like um, the movie tumbles out tumbles. like it's being it's spoken. Good, it's, good way of good way of. It's like a it. no huddle offense. Has that? It is. But I think there are some extremely memorable. Yeah, they schemed up a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I'll go through a couple here that I have written down. Pat goes to Ronnie's for dinner. We meet Ronnie and Veronica. Um, you know, we get we get Ronnie's take on the commercial real estate market, which is m- worth mentioning, mm-hmm. I think, because Russell wanted this movie. He wanted the 2008 season because of the housing crisis mm-hmm. uh, yes. and, and get that tarp loan in there. Uh, and Ronnie's like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm just... Also, Apex Mountain for iPods. I don't know if we've gotten I, there yet. Wait, don't, no, don't jump wall, ahead. Wall man. Mountain, yeah. Yeah. But this is where we meet Tiffany. Um, and we we get, like, her very morden sense of humor about, mm-hmm. like... The, it's a drawer in the morgue. It's a drawer in the morgue. You're gonna pump a body <laughs> full a of body formaldehyde. Uh, you know, Pat asks if you can play Ride the Lightning for a baby. I don't know if either of you guys have tried that with your children. Yeah. Seems like something I would ask. And when ask. Pat sees her, he's like, you look nice! <laughs> <laughs> and we get that first burst of like, this is how these two are going to relate to each other. You look nice. Thank you. I'm not flirting with you. I didn't think you were. I just see that you made an effort and I'm going to be better with my wife. I'm working on that. I want to acknowledge her beauty. I never used to do that. I'm going to do that now. Because we're going to be better than ever, Nikki. Just practicing. How'd Tommy die? What about your job? I just got fired, actually. Oh, really? How? I mean, I'm sorry. How'd that happen? Does it really matter? Baby! Real transparency and candor and emotional intensity. We call it radical honesty, I think, in in addiction therapy. Okay. Which I'm in for the Eagles. (laughs) But please, go on. There is... One scene I like before this, which is when he's reading A Farewell to Arms and throws it out the window. That's a good one. Yeah. I think his relationship to literature has uh, is really pretty amazing. Um, the, I have I have sort of as a replacement for the throwing the book out the window, mm-hmm. I had Pat looks for his wedding video and gets his ass beat by his dad. I don't find that rewatchable. Okay. But we'll circle back. This is the thing, is that some people mm-hmm. may find the, the intense moments the most rewatchable. Tiff and Pat's first date, for instance, is... It's pretty high up there for me. It's at the Landmark Diner. Yes. Uh, in uh, Upper Darby. Upper Darby. Yeah. And uh, like the borders, like Drexel. It's, I think Landmark is like Upper Darby. There's like some lands down in there. It's well, we, 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 I, I, when do you want to talk about the Landmark Diner? We can <laughs> talk about it in a bit, but I, okay. so this is up there. Uh, you know, With, right before that, the, the first running scene when oh, he's yeah. out jogging, it's right after the, the, when he's looking for his wedding video. <laughs> And she goes, hey, what happened to your face? And he says, weightlifting accident. accident. Yeah, that often happens to me. Hey! Whoa, hey! What the hell? What happened to your face? Weightlifting accident? That sounds like bullshit. 
Why'd you run by my house? For a little conversation, get you upset last night? Hey, this is my route, okay? Just back off. This is my neighborhood. You just ran by my house. I like to run by myself, okay? Me too. Hey, I like to run alone. Will you stop, okay? What? I'm running here. Me too. Well, then why don't you run somewhere else? There's a fucking tons of roads to run in. What are you trying to do? I like this road. This is my neighborhood. Oh, come on, please. Calm down, crazy. Like that is that is the screwball physical comedy stuff in this in this movie that is the levity is the balance and yeah. it like it's legit funny how she keeps popping out behind like trees and stuff when he's running and he's like what the like he's like all freaking out and she's like what happened to your like he's like what happened to your wife he's like your husband's <laughs> dead you know and they're yelling at each other yeah so. and I think it's smart to point that out because I think for like the great movie directors of musicals and things, the things that they understood was physical proximity, yeah. and how to utilize it on camera. And this movie does it so well in both in both ways. It's like when she pops out and surprises him and he jumps back and screwball and it's funny, you understand what it means and where they are physically in the landscape. But then also there's a flip side to it. Like when he sees his old colleague at the school and keeps getting closer and Nancy? closer to her yeah. and yeah. she's <laughs> screaming. She's like, Help! And we understand that physical proximity to Pat Solitano is not always in the good book. So you get... Uh, uh, Tiff and Pat's first date, Tiff's dance studio, and uh, and that's a feeling. And we find out what happened to Tommy, and, and that's singing in the rain, and yeah. and they're doing the dance steps. That's the and training it's the, montage. It's with, the Dylan and Cash, yeah, girl in the country. Yeah, uh, the Giants game tailgate. Doctor Patel comes. That's nice. Jake's there. Dark turn, but dark turn. Starts don't nice. drink too much. Don't hit anybody, and you'll mm-hmm. be fine. That goes right into. That's what I say before I go over to your house. <laughs> In the car, just. And then you show up for the six pack of delightful Mexican lager. Yeah, <laughs> um, I do love this tailgate scene. I love. I like, legitimately too. love it, and Bradley Cooper doing like the bird flap with. Have with you ever done much tailgating? No, me neither. No, no I haven't. Um, Did you so in the tailgate scene? Great John Ortiz, we should talk about. He's fantastic in yeah. the movie as Ronnie. Like, he is famously a New Yorker. He had to, like, put on a jersey, right? And, like, do Fly Eagles Fly stuff. Like, I'm sure he was... The, that's, what he, that's what the money's for, you It's know? partly what the money's for, but also, if they did film it, I, you probably have more data than I do. Did they actually go to a tailgate to film this? It did looks they... like it's at the link, yeah. I think it's at the link. Yeah. I think it's, like, legit at the link. So, also, I think there was an element of, like, he wanted to leave set that day with his teeth right so like he had to commit yeah I mean I, I, it's interesting that you think that like the other mm-hmm. actors in this movie had to swallow their pride to I participate do think that. in a 200 million dollar Oscar winning film to debase themselves to be like <laughs> us yes this is what I think of us this um, is also the scene where where Bradley Cooper is like like where Pat is like I'm not gonna fight you're, fucking, you're, you're cool, cool. Oh, you too I'm, I'm not gonna fight I'm not gonna fight Yes, it's, he's trying fight. his best mm-hmm. to, to sort of become this better person. That leads into uh, the it's all ruined now meltdown from De Niro mm-hmm. and then Tiff's explanation of why his superstitions are actually like they're, they're the reverse. It's like it's Pat not being at these games mm-hmm. and not watching these games that's leading the Eagles towards their... So I, I wanted to ask you guys about mm-hmm. this. Because when this film came out and I saw it, I was like, this scene is pornography. Yeah. It's like Jennifer Lawrence reading yes. victorious Eagle scores <laughs> to Robert De Niro. Yes. I was like, cinema has peaked yeah. with this scene. Yeah. Some people do ASMR. You just watch this scene. Yes. That's right. You are why I'm the reason happened. why today happened. I think so. Let's talk about that. Be my guest. 
The first night that Pat and I met at my sister's, the Eagles beat the 49ers handily 40-26. to The second time we got together, we went for a run, and the Phillies beat the Dodgers 7-5 to in the NLCS. She's right, Dad. The next time we went for a run, the Eagles beat the Falcons 27 to 14. The third time we got together, we had Raisin Bran in the diner, and the Phillies dominated Tampa Bay in the fourth game of the World Series 10 to 2. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Let me think about that. Wait a minute. Well, why don't you think about when the Eagles beat the Seahawks 14 to 7? He was with you? He was with me. We went for a run. Really? There have been no games since Pat and I have been rehearsing every day. And if Pat had been with me like he was supposed to, he wouldn't have gotten in a fight. He wouldn't be in trouble. Maybe the Eagles beat the New York Giants. She's making a lot of sense, Pop. That's all right on all counts. Watching it again, I was like, is this pandering? Am I being pandered to, or is this still the the greatest scene I've ever seen in my life? It's like Bryce Harper wearing Fanatic sneakers. Like, I don't care. Yeah, I think so too. I think sometimes you got to play the hits. And this is just an extraordinary scene. Like, she's basically maintained for most of the movie that she doesn't give a shit about football. She doesn't want to see, like, news. She doesn't want the Inquirer in her house. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want it. It's all about the dance routine. And obviously, she's been clocking the Eagle season acutely the entire Mm -hmm. time. And has this entire, like, sort of astro- astronomical, like, explanation as to why the Eagles do or don't do certain things and why Pat Sr. needs to let Pat Jr. go. <laughs> the, the line reading, Shea Wiggum being like, she's right, Pop. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the responsible one. Yeah. I think this is, I don't know if you're done reading the list. This is my most rewatchable scene for exactly the reasons you're talking about. I think astronomical is a good good word to use here because I do think there's an element of like solar bodies and and gravity because the scene prior to her entering into it and refuting the juju yeah. is careening into like weird sloppy 70s cosplay of like a lot of actors acted yeah. real loud on Peter top of each other alone in a hotel and then, yeah. Yeah. It's then, all and then Jennifer Lawrence comes in and it's just like no no this is why the tides are the way they are I am in charge of this movie and in charge of this scene yes and it's Electrified. When she finishes she, that monologue, she literally pops the top off a of Budweiser and takes a swig. Yes. Now, could it have been a Yingling? <laughs> yeah, that's my nitpick. <laughs> but okay, we'll move on. Uh, the last two that I had were the dance competition mm-hmm. and then the last letter. The only way you can meet my crazy, crazy was, was by doing something crazy yourself. Thank you. I love you. I knew it the minute I met you. I'm sorry it took so long for me to catch up. I just got stuck. Pat. I wrote that a week ago. You wrote that a week ago? Yes, I did. You let me lie to you for a week? I was trying to be romantic. Which arguably, to your point about kind of like it all flowing together, you could you could mash those together, like yeah. dance competition mm-hmm. into them spilling outside into the diamond district when the camera's like rotating around. Yes, them. that's a lot of fives, guys. A lot of fours, guys. I think for me, most rewatchable scene is Tiff explains superstition. Yeah, it's the it's the Jennifer Lawrence highlight reel right there. It is. It's iconic. Although the the ending, it's almost like cheating to be like, hey, the romantic ending where they Everything kiss the diamond. Out district and everything feels good but also like the dance sequence is really good you know yeah and like the when, when he finishes and John Ortiz is like yeah Pat like, <laughs> it's just like if you did it you know I love that they just have to get a five too mm-hmm. 
Um, but the the uh, and I actually like watching their dance because I didn't notice any like obvious mistakes. I guess maybe their degree of difficulty. Well, the, the finishing move the finishing is move a is disaster. Sure, <laughs> and it's meant to. I think it's meant to be a disaster. Yeah. She's like half on him, and they're like to- teetering. It's it's wonderfully Philadelphian that like at no point did she really like research the competition she had entered them into. You know, just in terms of like the quality of the competition Until or what the, the expectation. Until the parlay comes up and then she's like, yes, we are dancing against professionals. So she has some awareness. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we're going to go with Tiff Explains yeah. Superstition as uh, the most rewatchable scene. What's age the best? Oh, come on. Uh, uh, mapping a movie against a sports season is elite. And this and this sports season, the, the 2008 Philadelphia Eagles, is it's, it's an awesome sports season. It's yes. like they don't even really explain... They have the the sort of Dallas dance competition parlay, but the Eagles needed, if we want to get real about this, they <laughs> needed the Texans to beat the Bears, and they needed the Raiders to beat the Buccaneers as double-digit underdogs. Yeah. Both things happen, and then they stomped the Cowboys 44-6. to This is Brian Dawkins' last year yeah. as an Eagle. This is the great Jim Johnson's last year. As D.C. As D.C. This is like one of the really, really, really cool, great, Fun Eagles. Seasons. And if you go through the season, they they kept winning the games they weren't supposed to and losing the games they were supposed to. Yes. There was a tie. Yeah. I mean, it was an absurd, absurd season on paper. They had a losing record as recently as like like week ten or something. Yeah. Like. And the Deshaun Jackson dropping the ball at the one yard line is is an iconic Eagles yes. play for and that's like and this the, is his rookie season. And I it, it becomes I mean, it's it, it's pretty wild. Cause like to to most people, I think that is a sports factoid that's kind of slipped away from the national memory. And it's like Silver Linings Playbook uses the Deshaun Jackson spikes the ball at the one yard line mm-hmm. as a metaphor for like these guys and not being able to get their shit together. And like the end zone's right there and they can't get in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else is age? Oh, so I, I was just going to say, as far as like uh, telling a story with the backdrop of a sports season going, one of me and Andy's favorite novels is The Sweet Forever, which is a George Pelicanos book that is a crime story told with the backdrop of Len Bias's last season at Maryland going up into the fateful fateful draft night and everything that happened mm-hmm. afterwards. But, but it's like this incredible, like, March Madness is kind of happening in the background. And the book set in D.C., and so the book it's is set hometown in kid. Yeah. There. Do you want to People should do it more. People should just I, set, set stories against sports seasons. But I think even on top of that, like, what aged the best for me was just the 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 living prevalence of the psychological anguish of being a Philadelphia sports fan. Yeah. Like that has aged super well to the degree where <laughs> I was watching this movie and I was like, I think this movie's about Nick Sirianni. Like, I think it's <laughs> profoundly about a guy who believes in just like, s- believes his own bullshit of like yeah. silver lining. Next week is going to be different. Yeah. yeah. We're just going to keep doing the same thing because we don't want it badly if enough. If we watch Don't... Hoosier twice. <laughs> yeah. I'm not listening to the facts on the ground. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to get by with a positive attitude. Who needs pre-snap motion if you got cool t-shirts? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, what else stage is the best? Jennifer Lawrence. We talked yeah. about it. I just, the moment captured here has aged incredibly well. You really, you really see, because I think it's true with the Bradley performance too, because both of them after this, become huge, huge mm-hmm. Hollywood stars. And they're, I think they're both incredibly gifted actors um, and are good in almost everything they're in. But, like, the layers of self-regard and understanding who they are in the industry and their power mm-hmm. and, 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 like, that they might be nominated for Oscars. None of that's there. Yeah. It's very raw. Like, 
He's Bradley had, Cooper obviously is like fighting for his life. He's basically. had a decade in the wilderness. And she's been in Winter's Bone, and everybody's like, "Who the fuck is this?" Yes, and is about to be like a franchise star. And is about to but, be the biggest, but movie is not. Yeah, yeah. Yet. And so there, it's like as unvarnished as you'll ever see stars of this quality. It's also, I think, important to note it's like the last moment where they were willing to trust someone else's vision of who they are and what they could be, because after this, they write their own ticket. They choose the movies. Mm-hmm. This projects come to them. And we see them have struggles with that to varying degrees. I mean, I don't think Bradley Cooper's last 10 years has been a struggle by any stretch, but what he wants to show us about himself is one thing, and it is not this thing. Yeah. And Jennifer Lawrence has had, I think, a a rockier go of it, where she's like, I guess I am a star from the Oscar from the box office, so I will pick my project, and it will be Red Sparrow, or whatever that movie was, right? Yeah, I mean, that's... That's not. In helping. some ways, she seems like she's slightly reorienting around stuff like this movie again. Yeah, and she's yes, said because she understands what within the last couple of years, one of the reasons why she changed agents is because she felt like she was not getting like Safety Brothers scripts, like she was not getting look-ins on the stuff, the material that she really wanted to be a part of. And it, it, I think if there's any disappointment to her career, she's had a really great one. It's that this version of her is kind of left back in the 2012 era. And she hasn't really explored that particular space in a while. Like, and maybe you can't. Maybe you can't go back to that well all the time. But there's a special kind of magic when it's someone's rookie season or their breakout season. That's exactly right. It's true. She's the Deshaun Jackson. Of That's what I'm yes. going for. Yes. It's like it, they're never gonna. You're never gonna be that person again because of your success. Uh, I also think what aged the best: sneaky awesome Christmas movie and sneaky mm. awesome Halloween Thanksgiving Christmas run. It's mapped against more or less the second half of the Eagle season. And it yeah, winds you up, see Halloween, you yeah. see Christmas. You, you get the see, Christmas decorations seen, on, yeah. on Jewelers Row. It's just yeah. awesome. We talked about the weather and like it, I don't, know, I don't know if they filmed it exactly at that time, but they, it looks like they did. They did a good, it, if it's summer, they did a great job masking yeah, it. Yeah. So I, I, it, everything else seems pretty, pretty accurate. iPods. Yes. Miss them. I miss just like I don't need the I don't need my also my phone device and the internet in my hand. I just really want my seven thousand top songs. Also, wasn't it funny that like when we had iPods and we we're like, man, this is changing everything, and then to watch the way they interact with the iPod, where he's just like basically doing what we would do when we would go to each other's apartments and look at each other's seashells. Yeah. Oh yeah, what's that story? <laughs> oh, stranglers! <laughs> you love stranglers. Yeah. I know that about you. Yeah. It felt very sweet and very quaint. Um. This movie year, you mentioned it. Yeah. Just very fun. Flight, Argo, The Master, That's Django, right. Lincoln. Just Re- like a very rich film year. Yeah. It, prestige movies that actually entertained and was just like, I felt like most of the movies you would come out of and have like a really great two beers and a pizza conversation about them, which mm-hmm. is, is pretty rare. Um Spending father-son time reading about the Eagles, talking about them. (laughs) (laughs) I think that this is pretty much the model for our relationship. (laughs) We read about the Eagles and then we talk about them. Yeah, it's it's true. I, I... I really hung up on De Niro's part where he's just like, this, I want to spend time together. I want you to sit next to me while the game is on. That's what this is for. We'll spend time together. I'm like, him, wow, American manhood. Yeah. Him like having Jackie Weaver pass like the Inquirer sports section yes. to Bradley Cooper. Like it's like the Holy Grail or something. I'm trusting this to you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this and it's the Noah Baumbach version, kicking and screaming mm-hmm. of, of Elliot Gould leaving messages on Josh Nick's Hamilton. in trouble. Nick's. Call me to discuss. That's how that's how we were raised. <laughs> no, when I came down to 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 
sit at the breakfast table before school, like I couldn't pick up the sports page until my father was done with it. And that meant like maybe he hadn't read it yet. I, it was I not to be a, disturbed until it was... I went to a sleepaway summer camp in the Poconos. And the I would open, I would get mail from my, my parents. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would open the mail and it would just be the Phillies box score. Oh my God. Are you serious? The whole summer. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, there was no like note or anything. I was just like, <laughs> we, we literally communication from a father. Box score yeah. out of the paper and put it in an envelope and sent it to you. Have you thought about with your son whether or not you're mm-hmm. going to spend time reading about the Eagles and talking about them with him? Yeah. I don't think he's going to have much of a, a choice in that. Do you don't, so you're not going to let him choose his own adventure? No, and become absolutely. A absolutely. Fan no. Or anything like that. No. Okay. Do you no. think, Hard Chris, no. do you think the Solitano family ever? argued over one of your dad's reviews in the Inquirer. <laughs> Do you feel like he ever like said a crossword about a movie that they love? The Baron family does. And they were like, I don't know if yeah, they. Yeah, oh, for sure. It, it's interesting to imagine like what's movie night at the Solitano house. Yeah, yeah. what what are they firing up? Well, it's, I yeah, I'm gonna say this for for picking that. Okay, but I have a thought about this. I, I I would say it's probably not the conversation in my household where my father would be like Desmond Ryan, another four stars for Merchant Ivory, <laughs> <laughs> an Anglophile. Like, He's from England. It's okay. Um, What's age the best? Shea Wiggum as Jake, the least Italian person in this movie. Uh, with all, I mean, I don't know his twenty three and me, but I don't <laughs> think he's Italian, and yet, like, is just the best brother. And him being like, "You lost your wife. I'm getting engaged. <laughs> I'm doing really well at work. <laughs> you lost your house. I'm getting a new house. <laughs> you lost your job. Things are going great for me at the firm." But he's fucking crying when he's telling him this, and he's just like, "I just want to connect with you." <laughs> and then his buddy's like giving Pat a hard time at the game. He's like, "I talked to you guys about this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of law do you think Jake practiced? Oh, tax. Do, yeah, I think he's. I think he's more button. He doesn't real, have real a bill. Estate? I don't think he has a billboard by 90 on 95. Because you know he's I mean? helping yeah. dad he's... find like basically a tax shelter for his book. Maybe. Yeah, that's why I kind of thought real estate, maybe, you know, you know, but you some money around. Like call Saul he's again. not a flashy courtroom litigator. No, I don't no, feel like he's got no. the gift. Um, my last, uh, mm-hmm. my last what's age the best is the guy who tries to film Pat's breakdown. And he's I, just like on the early. I, this is interesting. I believe yeah. this is David O. Russell's son. Okay. Well, he, he invents world star. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think World Star is probably around by then, but like the that, idea of like, oh, is something disturbing happening? Mm-hmm. Let me film it. He, invi- he invents the next door app. Yeah. That's yes. what he's doing. Yeah. I, I will say that's not the clearest thread in the film where you're like, what is this kid doing? Yeah. I feel like there's like another scene there. Yeah. But yeah. But Did I, the you feel like we didn't get closure on that? I think the implication <laughs> is that Pat has long been a disturbance on this block and that like it has now become like, oh, Pat's flipping out. Everybody's calling the cops. And this, this guy's like the world star. Yeah. This goes back to the proximity thing. It's one of those sneaky best things about the movie is the sense that everyone is living on top of each other and everybody knows everybody's business. Yeah. And De Niro's like, show's over, go home. The way the lights snap on instantly when they're shouting. This is a lived-in place. Yeah, and I think that there is a real, like, uh, Philadelphia neighborhoods have, like, their own... Justice. So I, was gonna, <laughs> I was just trying to figure out a way to put that. That was like own designated police officer. Yeah, uh-huh. and also, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to to Officer Keo, but like just the way in which, like, yeah, if there was a disturbance at one house, everybody would be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Anything else that I missed for what's age the best? I I, I, I stick with anguish personally. Anguish. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Pain. I'm gonna like I'm gonna go with Jennifer Lawrence for this one. Uh, Kid Cudi pursued a happiness award for the best needle drop. For me, mm-hmm. um, this is the early days of 
me feeling like needle drops are getting a little out of control in Hollywood. And I just want to say that we've been in now we're in year 11 of this mm-hmm. where there's really no rhyme or reason as to why like a 60s stack song is on at any given point in a movie. But that being said, mm-hmm. this movie has really good music and I love Kroll, Kroll from the first country. I love it too. The Zeppelin needle drop in this movie. Back when Zeppelin probably was like, that's 150K from Jump. Rips. Yeah. It's like he's got it at like 13. Yeah. It's so loud. It's like, it's, you know, it's like what is and what should never be at at full volume while three different people are having like a nervous breakdown. Yeah. I'm girl from North Country. Yeah. Just just because of the it's it's a sneaky. Yeah, it's, it's also not the, the juxtaposition of like this lovely, like, beautiful folk song while they're doing their dance preparation. It's a great training montage. It's very, it's very beautiful, very and, inventive, and it and it's a really smart, subtle coding of we're taking this seriously mm-hmm. because the movie is it, it. When you watch it again, you realize that there's a very sure hand behind the behind the wheel, but like it, it jumps around, and so we're not sure which things to be investing in, which things to take seriously, and that calms it calms everybody down. My wife and I were rewatching this last night, mm. and the scene came on, and she started shazamming the song. <laughs> and I was like, it's Girl from the North Country. It's Bob Dylan. Yeah. And she's like, okay. And she's still shazamming it. I'm like, to be fair, it is a different version. But I was like, I guarantee you that's what the song <laughs> is. Like, 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 I know, like, you don't have to shazam this. And she, I, there was a reason for it, but fast forward, like, everything's ruined. <laughs> you ruined it. Um, this is an interesting one. The mm. Big Kahuna Burger Award for Best Use of Food and Drink. Yeah. I have two. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to be completely honest. I've never heard of Krabby's and Homemade's. I don't think that's a thing. Yeah. I, so apparently that is something that Matthew Quick, the author of the novel's mother made, and he is okay. from South Jersey. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying I have never encountered Krabby's and Homemade's. Well, to be clear, so I did some research on this that I probably did 10 years ago too, but did not remember. I'm halfway there. Krabby Snacks seems like a very, very plausible Past like hors d'oeuvre on a Sunday. Crab on an English muffin with cheese, basically. It's like you make a you you make kind of a di- crab dip. You use either crab meat or imitation crab meat and mix it with cheese and you put it on like a cut up toasted something muffin. That I buy. Okay. hundred percent. And homemades, if you look it up, this seems to be freshly made pasta. Right. Which also you never see on screen. I never feel like see I it. too looked that up and then I was like, where is the pasta? I don't really I don't really see either thing. Also, that seems like look, I'm all for, you know, at a dinner table, at a party, you know, you mix the cult high low. Mm-hmm. You mix the high low. So you 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 get the imitation crab meat, but you're also rolling out the dough, you know, and you're making a lovely home. But I don't understand the connection. And I also think, to your point is right. We see her make the brujol. That makes sense. I think the connection is supposed to be that there is no connection and this mm. family is like a little bit insane. Right. Uh, my nominee for this is the Raisin Bran. Yeah. You want to share this? Why did you order Raisin Bran? Why did you order tea? Because you ordered Raisin Bran. I ordered Raisin Bran because I didn't want there to be any mistaking it for a date. It can still be a date if you order Raisin Bran. It's not a date. Uh, raisin Bran is crucial. When he orders Raisin Bran at Lanark Diner, first of all, the way it's brought to him... <laughs> With the glass of milk <laughs> and the raisin bran is in the box, but in the bowl, so yep. that he can do it. And then their little back and forth, where she, he's like, "You're just getting tea." She's like, "Well, you got raisin bran." <laughs> Her face when he orders raisin bran is incredible. Yeah. Uh, w- I also enjoy Pat Senior spending his gambling winnings on opening a cheesesteak restaurant. Yes, you know, which is again like there, there are moments in this film where you're like, "Are you, are, are?" 
are you pandering to me, basically? Yeah, how but on, I am like, that's how legit. on the nose can that's, this like, get? He has like artistic renderings. Of <laughs> <laughs> I do wish, and I, I made an allusion to this before, but like the specificity goes out the window when it comes to the, the beers. Like, I know people everywhere drink Budweiser, but I do wish we could have seen a couple of Yinglings or Rolling Rocks just to like. Yeah, they didn't cut that check. They didn't, exactly. They didn't cut the check. Is, I, all I want to do is sit here and talk to you about Lanark Diner, which is where I spent most of high school. And I, we could get to it in a moment. I think it's coming up. That scene-stealing location. Yeah. I, have, I have ordered cereal there. Uh-huh. That is how it arrives. It is a missed opportunity for not to have them order the signature menu item at the Lanark Diner, which is their famous snapper soup. <laughs> which is available year-round. That by the Lanark Diner is open right now. It is where do they get their snapper? Twenty-four. Where do they source? Now, to be clear, snapper is a turtle. Yeah. yeah, this is not fish. Where do they source it? Probably near where Matthew Quick grew up in South Jersey. <laughs> I, well, they'll never. They'll never tell. But like, the, like the canal next to Mania. Yeah, that's the thing. Th- th- there's certain things that are like, yeah, it's a diner. It's a diner anywhere. You can get raisin bran, but snapper. Do you soup, want to spell Lanark for the people at home? What, do people not speak Celtic? What, <laughs> do people not, like, there's a certain, this is the other thing. It's, it's just like. L-L. Yeah. Right. L-L-A-N-A-R-C-H. Yeah, and the second L is silent. Lanark. <laughs> but it's not like, it's not like a Spanish, it's not like a Yanark. I think this is actually, it's an E instead of an Oh, it's Lanark with an yeah, E? Okay. Well, yeah, Thank yeah. You it's one, one of the, one of the most hideous words that you'll ever see right now. So look, we live near Bella Kinwood. Like, I, I'm yeah, not going to start throwing. This, this, spelling Schuylkill is still, still escapes me. Uh, Denethy's Benihana Award for the scene stealing location. Oh, here we are. We can do outside of the link. We can do Lanark Diner. It's the link for me. Okay. Uh, sorry, sorry to your childhood. It's Lanark Diner. <laughs> Every the mozzarella sticks and coffee. I'm gonna go Lanark because it's just a perfect, it's a perfect moment. I love when the, the lady stops him. Is like slow down, raisin, raisin brand. brand. Yeah. yeah, like I have. That s- must be such a bummer. You get a table and it's like this is like a three dollar table right now. But like they, they're open. They're they're open. They've been open every second since I last set foot in there in the '90s. They have never closed. Yeah. Still open now. Yeah, it's open right now, 24 hours a day. And the amount of time I spent there being like, "Oh, I'm not really sure about this English paper." I'll sit here and think about it with a cup of <laughs> mediocre coffee and mozzarella sticks, and just like, "Yeah, I'll find I'll find myself staring out into the 6 p.m. twilight." Mediocre coffee and mozzarella sticks. That was your combo. Oh yeah, coffee and mozzarella sticks. What Wait, you get at a diner? What? What are you talking about? Why you guys would eat coffee with mozzarella sticks? Dog. This is why I drink. Coffee. Have you never been to a diner before? I've been to a diner, but I usually if you go get... to a diner at an off hour. I'm not saying you go for breakfast. I'm not saying you go for dinner, but you meet your friend there at like 8 p.m. Okay. Coffee and PM. mozzarella sticks. Yeah. All right. I usually would go pancakes, or I would go BLT. Chris, I mean, the, the, the 10 p.m. Cheese. pancake order is <laughs> worthy of its own podcast. Uh, the Great Shot Gorder Award for the most cinematic shot. I think this is the patented David O. Russell. Uh, high-speed pull-out shot, like pull-back dolly mm-hmm. that he does in The Fighter, but he also does here with uh, the final kiss. Gotta be. Gotta be. And the Diamond District looking so beautiful. Yeah, it's like all those stores close at like 3.30 mm-hmm. uh, and then it turns into one of the secretly most beautiful parts of the city, especially during the holidays. Shout out Robin's Eighth and Walnut. They Zathan closed. Walnut. Did they? Yeah. What was yeah. the one with the guy with the diamond? That's Robin Zayton. Okay, yeah, they, yeah, they, they would him. do the doo-wop singing. And he had the diamond in his. Uh, the runner-up here, though, when when uh, Pat and and John Ortiz are doing the bird flap yes. at, the, at the game in slow motion. Truly, Gordon Willis somewhere in heaven. That's right. That's that right. Be like, my work here That's is right. done. Um, the Vincent Chase Award for Are We Sure uh, This Character Was Actually Good at His Job. A lot of nominees in this one, I think. I'm going to go Dr. Patel. 
Yes. Get a strategy. Isn't that your job, Doc? <laughs> He's like, work on a strategy. I was like, what is the therapist for? I I just think that he, first of all, like the 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 patient doctor relationship is very blurry. He's showing up at at Pat's house. Well, it gets blurry. Yeah, it gets blurry after the Eagles game. But even before that, I feel like he's he's giving him like maybe some wrong directions here. And it seems kind of like there's not they're not really interrogating a lot of Pat's yeah, feelings. Fake, fake befriend mm-hmm. Tiffany. Yeah. So that you're so Nikki will see Nikki you, will you, see you as a responsible as a man who can care for someone else. Right. That seems like a, a mission impossible. You're bearing the lead here. I'm willing to forgive all of the ethical lapses that are revealed once they discover that they're both lunatic tailgaters. Like yeah. that, at a certain point, to your, what you were saying, Zach, like they've discovered that they are blood brothers now and that is deeper, <laughs> deeper than any professional What obligation. if you saw your therapist on like Eagles Reddit in like a Brian Johnson thread? I would feel so much better. <laughs> I would feel so much safer, to be honest. Yeah. But you're forgetting the most egregious thing that he does, which, if unless we're meant to believe that this isn't real, but when Pat shows up for the first time in the office oh, and my Sharia Moore is yeah, playing, yeah, that's right. And he's like, I wanted to see I'm, if your trying to violent trigger, you. trigger still triggers you yeah. with other, other patients in the lot. That is. Can you disbar doctors? Yeah, because for a second, you're like, oh, is Pat hearing this? Just like you're thinking that maybe outside of the movie theater when he and Tiff have left the diner and he's having the meltdown. And I think in that, I, I, in the movie theater scene, is he th- hearing it when it's not there? That time he's not, re- it's not yeah, really. But in the, doctor's it office, in the doctor's office, it's Dr. Playing. Patel. His I major Patel's contribution. Like, I wanted to see this, if it would still trigger This is trigger the you. plot of the mediocre show Shrinking from this year, where Jason Siegel's like, my life's ruined, so I'm going to be honest with these guys. He's <laughs> like, you got a drug problem. You should leave that guy. And the patients are like, my God, you've, si- you've yeah. solved therapy. This is incredibly unprofessional and maybe dangerous. Did you have any other uh, nominees for the Vincent Chase Award? Yes. The police officer? I'm <laughs> yes. not I'm not sure if this guy... On my list. It's like, he's like very severe sometimes, but then like the night where they all assault each other, he just shows up and he's like, yeah, man, you gotta not hit each other. He does a lot of like, I might take you back to Baltimore, but not today. But not yeah. today. But then yeah. he rolls up with a whole crew to personally take Chris Tucker back to Baltimore, yeah. which yeah. suggests maybe he's freelancing he, off the clock. He also was at the dance competition, I believe. Yes. For reasons that are so not explained. This is, I'm willing to accept this, and I don't think he wins because I believe the character is being used as a comedic prop. Like, the way that he shows up instantly with a... Yeah. is very funny. It suggests that he has been personally assigned to the Solitano household and is always <laughs> available. It's also worth it to me because then when he hits on Tiffany, it's very funny. It is very funny. Um, but yes, I do feel like in terms of like his larger policing assignments versus his fixation it's on It's weird. It's family, like he's Wyatt Earp and this is the territory he's been assigned. There's yeah. no other cops in Ridley Park, Upper Darby, anywhere Yeah, he's the guy it. who pulls yeah. up at the movie theater. Yeah. Like just randomly, it's him. I, all, day, night, he seems to work 24-hour shifts. Doesn't do anything, Three ever. in the morning, yeah. I have two others. Okay. De Niro as a bookmaker? That's a good question. I had this question, too, because, like, a, is a bookmaker supposed to just be like, I'm betting it all on the Eagles? With my one friend. The only person that We're I engage We're going to get to Randy in a second. Okay, so I, I, I have questions. De Niro's, you know, as we get older, our world narrows a bit. So he's really just his couch, his handkerchief, Randy, and these beautiful schematic drawings of a restaurant. (laughs) So I understand that it's like narrowed a little bit, but it does seem like he's making all this money bookmaking with Randy. We don't really see anybody else. I think Randy is maybe a fellow bookmaker and wants wants his action Mm because that's that's what's up for 
for in the final bet is like Randy would get the book, he would get right. the restaurant, etc. Um, but yes, you, a very old school back when Cousin Sal used to bet Your Majesty's kind of bookmaker, where it's like everything's in an envelope. You right. Know. Okay. Last one. The one judge who gives them a five point three. Oh yeah. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I just felt like it was a pretty buttoned-up operation. If I'm that senior, I'm paying that guy off. You know what I mean? I'm you're, making sure. You're identifying in advance who the weak link is. I also is think you're to... just underrating the dance routine. I feel like that's oh. that pretty good. Yeah. Okay. I'm just asking yeah. the questions. I'm, well, I'm the asshole. <laughs> All right. I want them to win. I don't want the Cowboys I, to win. I think we're going to go Dr. Patel here, though, although the it's... cop is a good runner-up. Um, the Butch's Girlfriend Award for the weak link mm. of the movie. Let's have the Chris Tucker conversation. Oh, I'm ready for this. Yeah. It's nothing's really wrong with the performance per se. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really know what his character does that John Ortiz's character couldn't do other than unlocking the dance choreography when he randomly shows up at the back of Tiff's house because like everybody's just like, yeah, that's Danny. He's also from the, I, the mental hospital, but it's cool. Like send him to different people's houses. I want to be clear. Baltimore is not that close. It's not. We all have been to the aquarium. Takes forever, but yeah. it takes forever. There's that tunnel. It is the not Mc, the a, Fort McHenry. Yeah, it's not an easy jaunt. Yeah, keep dropping ninety five <laughs> gems. I, I, I'm surprised by this. I like Chris Tucker in this film. Okay, I I, I recently watched. Speaking of movies that are only needle drops, I recently watched the motion picture Air. Okay, and I was reminded when Chris Tucker is in movies, he's usually playing the role of Chris Tucker. I thought that this was a movie where he was. Trying out some different stuff. I remember at the time thinking that he was going to get the Adam Sandler punch drunk love script next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like people were going to see this because I'm with, I'm with you, Andy. I think that I like the character. I think that I think in a movie about mental illness, I think that's why he's there. He's like one more, one more guy suffering in his own unique way. And I, I think he actually plays that very beautifully. And I was like, I feel like people are going to see this mm -hmm. and make him the lead mm -hmm. of a movie where obviously Chris Tucker, cinema icon, known for being sort of brash and loud and funny. And they're going to they're gonna take this sort of like woundedness mm -hmm. and off-kilteredness of this performance and they're going to like center it in something. That's not what happened But then the haters like Chris Ryan. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I think I'm more him. criticizing splitting the basically like the friend responsibilities. I, I don't like it when movies are like, we need another person in this movie to do the job that this one he, character would do. There is a, but one of the reasons the movie works is because it's always spinning like a gyroscope and like him showing up and having to leave constantly is very funny yeah. and, and destabilizing in a, in a good way. And the, the jailhouse film. lawyer scene with De Niro is very funny with the holding the two remotes and sit right there yes. and all that stuff. That's good. Um, what's his worst? The depiction of mental health hit me because this is this was this was a conversation at the time. It was we we were we were in in our internet take era and like pretty soon around the release of this movie, there are pieces on Vulture, there are pieces on Slate that are like the how Silver Linings playbook gets mental health wrong. And yet, it feels as far as long ago as like Tropic Thunder in the sense that like it's nothing compared to what it would be greeted with now. Yeah, where it would be shouted down before it even became a same thing with the age gap between the the actors. Yep. Mm -hmm. which again was a, was very much talking point at the time. You referenced it like that. Jennifer Lawrence was just too young for the part. She mm -hmm. just was. Um, uh. And that was an issue then. I think now, I don't, I don't know if they would do it now. I 
think that most people, I mean, to just sort of like crystallize, crystallize like what people's issues with the movies are. First of all, it's it's slightly ambiguous as to like what Pat's med, like his whether how he's how much he's sticking to his medication. I noticed that on the rewatch too. So in the he, first half of the film, he's obviously not taking it after militantly. Of, not yeah, and I think after the fight with his father, the, that turns physical, where his mother gets knocked over. I think the impl- implication is that he starts taking his meds again. They, it's no longer an issue, so I assume that that's the case. And they show him taking his And meds. he makes reference to it at a later point in the film. I can't remember when, when he's just like, I've been on my meds, I've been good, or whatever. Um, and by the way, the med scene with him and Jennifer Lawrence, underrated, great scene. But it, it, it's, a, it's a complicated topic because, like he says at one point, like people like me and Tiff and Danny have a sixth sense, and like we see things other people can't see. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily on its face have a problem with that statement, but like, and and I think that it does a good job of also depicting the the evident pain that people yeah, go through. I, but at the same time, I think that there is like this is also magic that that I think I, people reject. I, I think that what we're talking about, and maybe it's no longer a sustainable equation, but with, with Zach, what you were saying about the types of movies that David O. Russell wants to make, you need a certain type of fuel to power them. And in this case, what he's using as gasoline is mental health Manic and, energy. and, and yeah. instability. Um, is that responsible? Is, what is his responsibility? I'm not sure. I certainly don't feel equipped to answer that question. What I appreciated about it in the second viewing is, well, there's, there's two things. One, the way that Pat's parents treat him and are afraid of him and want so desperately to understand and fix him but don't have the tools or language felt very real to me and honest and genuine. And I appreciated that that there's a lot of time given to that in the beginning. Um, The idea that he finds a way to get better, even if it's only temporary, it's a movie. It's a romantic fantasy. And why not? And David Russell has like alluded to in a way that I don't, I don't know the details. I don't know if the details have ever been shared, but he, he said when he was like promoting this, film there's a personal story to him in some way relating i think think to his experience with his own son and he even alluded to the fact that de niro had had experiences with it too which de niro doesn't talk about anything so i Mm -hmm. assume de niro has never talked about this but to your point parents and kids mental illness seems like it was a very personal story for people who were involved in the film. And then w- while we're here, we, sh- we should like talk at some point about the David O. Russell's reputation. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was in my What's Age of the Worst, both both mm-hmm. his personal life and and like the way that we view his particular professional tactics. Yeah, and like so professionally, he's like known as a yeller and someone who's not always in control of himself. Yeah. You know, I did a, a story with Christian Bale a couple of years ago and talked to him about this because the movie after this, American Hustle, Amy Adams famously said that David Russell basically made her cry on the set of that mm-hmm. film multiple times. And Christian Bale had to stick up for her. And I asked him about that and he was like, yeah, that, that happened. Like that, that's like on the record. And obviously there's the recordings of him yelling on the set of, I believe, Huckabee's. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lily Tomlin. Clooney has told stories about they got the in a set fight, of yeah. Three Kings. Yeah, they got in a, a fight. Um, so, a, you know, David, and, and David Russell, I think, hasn't, has made fewer and fewer movies uh, as time has gone on, I think potentially related to some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but also to the mental illness conversation, I'm not, this, this is not me diagnosing him in any way, but like the idea of someone who's like angry and trying to figure it out, like you, you can see what you can see why he wants to tell Absolutely. the story. And, you know, making a movie about what he wishes were the case, which is that despite everything, you could meet 
a soulmate. You could meet someone like-minded. You could fall in love. You could find an artistic regimen that could bring you out of the place yes. you are. Where it brings you, I don't know. But I do think it's kind of a facile way that people talk about movies and art now in general, which is the suggestion that they're playing with something as opposed to the people who made this movie, and particularly the guy who adapted this, made it for a reason. He had a story that he wanted to tell that spoke to him and saw it through. Yeah. And whether that jibes with every, you know people in the audience's personal experience with issues like this or medication or hospitalization... I don't know. I don't know the extent of his. It's tough. It's like to we, we spent that. the first half of this podcast like lauding the movie for its screwball qualities and it's almost like romantic fantasy aspects. The, the movie referential, like self-referentially, calls itself romantic and like does things mm -hmm. in the film where it's like to do it this way is a more romantic gesture. So I, I think that you have to give it some grace where it's like this isn't like it's a very realistic film that isn't reality. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, I can, I can understand why people would have some issues with it. That's not what aged the worst for me, though. Mm. What aged the worst is uh, hearing about Andy Reid challenging calls. Wow. And yeah. just, like, remembering the end, the last <sighs> couple of years of the Andy Reid era. And also then what happened afterwards, which is we watch years of Donovan McNabb on third and eight throwing at five yards. Behind the line of scrimmage, yeah. yes. <laughs> and then he goes on to the Chiefs and conduct the most electric offense since The Greatest Show it's, on Turf. It's painful. It's painful. And everybody's just like, Andy Reid's just, it's all up here. It's in his head. It's oh, like, that was it, not, and I love Andy Reid, but that was not yeah. our experience with Andy Reid. No, especially at the end. It was maddening. Yes. And then his last year was 2012, <laughs> yes. right? Like, this yeah. was his last That'll year. That'll come yeah. up in, in a second. Okay, great. Yeah. Four and 12, I believe, yeah. Uh, the one Castillo. Uh, one more. Yeah. For that, I, I think our understanding of gambling as a society yeah. has evolved. When they, like, explain a parlay, it's like, John Ortiz is like, explain it to me, sir! And they're like, a parlay is... Uh, is, I don't that, think... is that what's age the worst, or is it, was it better when this was more of an it's underworld? Like, like, that yeah. aged really well <laughs> yeah, to me, because I still didn't understand what a parlay was. A fair um, was there a better title for this movie? I don't really have one. I think this is a great title for a movie. I had Fly Eagles Fly, but I think that would have been... Dallas sucks? Yeah. <laughs> Deshaun Jackson jersey? That's right. I would have liked that. Uh, I, I could, Excelsior is right there, but yeah. uh, I don't think... That, but yeah, but that's New York State. Yeah, yeah that's right. We, we did learn that. Best quote, it's, it's cheap, but I'm going to go with the only way you can beat my crazy was by doing something crazy yourself. I love you. I knew it the minute I met you. I'm sorry it took so long for me to catch up. I just got stuck. Way to go, Brad. No? Great. That's okay, but Deshaun Jackson is the man. Is the best quote of the film. Uh, I'm gonna, I have sorry. a third answer here, which is I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight. That's when, good. When, when he's just, when Pat's trying not to fight. And then Something Philadelphia men tell themselves. I mean, morning. for real. Yeah, but, right. for real. But also, as again, as someone who is, you know, admittedly deeply unwell, but like needs sports and Philadelphia sports. You're talking about you now. Yes. Yeah. As a connector in the world, like even at my lowest points, the idea that appreciating that Deshaun Jackson is the man can unite you with people, you know, maybe unprofessional medical <laughs> professionals, but like people from across all backgrounds, professions, spectrums, like that's important to me. Yeah. Okay. That's important. Um, the Stephen A. Smith hottest take award. Mm. I have one. Okay. I kind of hate the garbage bag. Okay. I Like I know it's an mm. iconic part of this film. It says a lot about the character that he's wearing a garbage bag the entire time. But I feel like we as a city, Philadelphia as a city, mm -hmm. did not need, like, one more addition to the, like, 
throwing, you know, snowballs at Santa Claus and batteries and all that. Like, we just didn't need another thing that people can reference where it's like, you got the garbage bag on, you're walking around. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of <laughs> hate it. Is it an effective weight loss tool, Craig? I, I, you know, I've never actually known. I mean, I, to me, wearing a sweatsuit would make you sweat enough. I don't know if a garbage bag is really. It's weird. I mean, difference. I know it's a metaphor, but it's strange that he's just like, this is the key to weight loss. I feel it's like just, Rocky should have had the garbage bag right. on. What about you? I could have gone a different way. You know, Andy Reid had just introduced the idea of pickle juice as a magical, like, energy <laughs> restorer, remember? So he could have just been swinging from a jar of Lassic. That would have been a good visual. Yeah. Um, I have one that I'm not, pr I'm not proud of this that's that that's not this isn't a place for being proud okay yeah like the ringer broadly no, or like the, the Stephen A. Smith hottest <laughs> award is where like, oh, I, I'm working for the wrong yeah. company uh I don't love Jackie Weaver oh I don't now this is not I don't mean you any ruined it I don't mean any disrespect <laughs> to, to our Australian queen uh -huh. I think she does a good job in the movie I think she plays the scenes with the tenderness of like I'm a little afraid of my son but I love my son it's very good but my thing is no one has ever been less from Philadelphia in history than Robert De Niro. Uh-huh. I feel like maybe there was an opportunity to have to someone offering a glass of water in the mom Like, part. just get Melissa Leo in there. It's just an extra level for me to have someone who's Australian doing an American accent. Like, no one in the movie is doing Philadelphia accent, which is a problem. Uh -huh. And I hope we're going to talk about that at some point. Um, I feel like that was a missed opportunity. That's why, I, that's why you're here, is to tell the truth about Jackie Weaver. I mean, it, I, I feel terrible. I'm punching down. I'm picking on the wrong person. She does a great job. Oscar nominated. There's nothing wrong with her performance. I would have gone a different way. This is, uh, this is, this is mine. And I think that Especially you guys like are... Silence from you guys. I agree. I honestly... Absolute. My, yeah. Like you're worried about I think offending it, I think someone's it is, silence. I, I think she's good in the movie sure. and it is still bad casting. Okay. Yeah, I like her in the film. I, I think wow. you could also have the same conversation... This is probably even more sacrilegious, and I don't think I believe it, but I think you could have a conversation about the De Niro performance in this movie. The wisdom at the time yeah. was like, this was is, Oscar nominated. Yeah. This was his comeback. I think when you watch it now, I'm like, I really like him in this movie. He's yes. doing a lot. I don't know why he got nominated for an Oscar. Well, I think because he was back. He was doing... And, right. He was at... He, he, o. Russell, David O. Russell unlocked something in him that brought him back from the comedies he was doing. That's true. At that yes. moment. And there and there are moments where you still see that, like when when like Pat first comes back and he's like, what? What's this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some takes in there that are like pretty it's Still analyzing this. Yeah. 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 Um, my Stephen A. Smith hottest take is um, Randy's a real piece of shit. And yeah. even if he had, if he had won that parlay bet, like there's no way he gets out of that alive. Like there's no world in which a guy who's hanging out at your house all the time wearing cowboy's gear, First of openly all. flirting with your wife, yes. then takes your livelihood. Your nest egg, your whole plan, the your whole dreams. thing. Rooting against your and son. And doesn't catch like a beating, if not a bullet yeah. after that. Yeah. Like I know I everything is like, oh, you got to pay your bet, your debts and everything. And these guys are degenerates. Yeah. But it does, it, 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 I would be surprised. Like most Eagles fans don't like seeing guys walking around with like, Washington Commanders gear, much less Nobody like Cowboys stuff. Gear. That's a straw man argument. The idea that this guy would just be like basically boner from growing pains over at this guy's <laughs> house, but also owns the note on the house now is bullshit. He would have just gotten at least exercise, like, yeah, like Shane Wiggum would have been like taking him aside and been like, You're yeah, not, not going to see you for a while. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that the, I thought Randy being like 
the, the, his sort of thing. The other thing that I had was there is a reading of this movie in which Tiff is the Joker. Like, in which Whoa. she really, really manipulates a guy who is in a pretty tender spot. I, I don't even... I think that's, like, that's text. Yes. Like, I think that's in oh. there. Again, like... But he loves her for it. Yeah, yes. but when she, when she tells everyone that the only thing we can do here <laughs> is lie to your mentally disturbed son about his triggering... Uh, uh, restraining order in place yeah. wife will be there. Yeah. Not great. I, yeah. I mean, the letter, same thing. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It, can Is this the right moment? Can I just circle back on this, though? Are you with me that, like, this is deeply Philadelphia in its psyche, like, in, in, in the it, anguish? Exactly. But nobody sounds like they're from Philadelphia. It, it's like, like I, I, maybe we weren't ready as a culture to do that and talk about the I Eagles. think emotionally they act Philadelphian, but don't sound Philadelphian. Right. Does and that I make think, sense? I think Bradley Cooper, without the accent, does really good like white tee and the yes. chain yeah. like Philly guy work. Yes. Like he like the, like the haircut is right, the facial expressions are right. But he is the only person in the cast who legitimately could have said overdose. <laughs> he could have said it. He could. I, right. I, I think it was Calvin. But I think honestly, then, like we've gone through so many ups and downs with accents over the years. I'm kind of glad that they all just decided right. to just and, and and this is like maybe like we say this for like recasting or whatever. Yeah. But I do. You don't want to see this movie without Jennifer Lawrence, but what if it was like a real Philly queen in that role? Do you have one in mind? The, I don't know like, if like, cinema like, has like, really seen a true like Philly Patty LaBelle. I, ironically, <laughs> Nikki, the uh, the wife, is, is from Philadelphia. Very Philly. Bria, Bria yeah. B, I think her yeah. name is, yes. is from Philly. Okay, uh, they don't even let her talk. Yeah, she has like one line. Yeah. Where she like whispers something. Um, speaking of casting, what ifs? Uh, this movie was originally pairing, we're going to pair Vince Vaughn and Zoe Dashnell. Uh, I don't think that that would have worked, although it would have been an interesting Vince Vaughn. At various points, um, Mark Wahlberg was attached as Pat. That would have been interesting, but I don't know that, I think Bradley Cooper brings something inimitable. Had Wahlberg done Invincible yet at this point? Because I don't I see so. how you just, the logic yeah, alone, so you can't I think be so. both. Uh, Anne Hathaway was up for TIFF at a certain point and had to drop out. Other people who read for TIFF include Elizabeth Banks, Kirsten Dunst, Angelina Jolie. I don't know if I buy that. Blake Lively, Rooney Mara, Rachel McAdams, Andrea Riseborough, which is very, really interesting, uh, and Olivia Wilde. Um, and Emma Thompson was at various points talked about for TIFF. I don't know what? why. Let, yeah. let me just say, all of that's bullshit. <laughs> all of that is awful. That's what Bill always says for recasting, for, for casting what ifs, and it's just like, I'm just reading the internet. No, I'm not saying it's bullshit that, like, that never would have done it. I just mean it's a sign of how precarious this movie was when you're just listing people who were being cast because they were the manic pixie dream girl of the moment. Right. And that that's what that part could have or should have been. And that one of the things that you get with Lawrence, especially because she was relatively, like, unformed as an actor and young and unfixed in our minds, is that she's tough. And yeah. she kind of doesn't give a shit. And I was reading about how, like, she wanted to make it super goth. But then there was pushback about whether she should be too goth. So we sort of, they split the difference. And she has, yeah, she has like black nails and a cross yeah. and nothing else. Yeah. yeah. But but all of those things, it immediately upends the balance of it, right? If it's cutesy, the movie's ruined. It it doesn't work. I think I think you can't do it without her. I think the like Vince Vaughn in that part, like you, I don't think this movie would have been as good, but it, it probably would have like nominally worked. Yes. I wonder whether Vince Vaughn would have also demanded that it get moved to Chicago so he could be a Bears fan. I, I think it should have been Rob McElhenney. <laughs> right. Maybe Cat Dennings. Yeah. Um, um, best That Guy Award. Uh, I have Dash Myhawk, the uh, Officer Keo. He's also the paratrooper or the pararescue jumper in Perfect Storm. 
He's, he's your guy from Ray Donovan. Yeah. <laughs> your show. He's always... Um, I mean, Paul Herman? Yeah, Paul Herman is Randy. I he's think. like Beansy. Yeah. He's, he's he's the Pittsburgh connect. He's, the, he's the, the guy's like, I'll make you see helicopters and, and get in. Yeah, like, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Is John Ortiz too famous to be that yeah. guy? I think he is. Okay. But I'm with you guys. Uh Dion Waiters Award. Uh I have three nominees: Shea Wiggum, Chris Tucker, and Julia Stiles. I love the Julia Stiles. I'm Team Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles it's, is fucking it's awesome. It's legitimately this. funny. Yeah. When she, she's like hanging out the window and she's like, Can you come in here, please? And I she's so you. good. I after I watched it this time when at the dance competition and Jennifer Lawrence is like, you're fucking <laughs> killing me. And she's just like, relax. Like yeah. she's uh, truly, truly evil. Yeah. yeah. How much screen time does she have? Six minutes? She has, she, she deeply understands two her or three scenes. Yeah. Sometimes you see people that like they was a day player. You show up. She understands everything about this movie, the DNA of this character and what her role is. I love it. Julia it's a great sisters. Great Dion sisters. Award. The Ruffalo, Hannah Rubinek Partridge overacting word. I have De Niro. This was pretty easy for me. You're a loser. The, you ruined it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to overact in a David O. Russell movie. Yeah. Like, I kind of think he's, mm. like, begging everyone to overact, <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, probably that. You blew it. It's a tough one, too, though, because, like, one of the interesting things about the movie that's relatively unexplored, or it's not unexplored, it's just not subtle, is that, like, I'm not going to be my dad, and my yeah. dad's the violent one. Yes. And, yep. my, and my dad is the one who has undiagnosed mental illness, or at least OCD. And... For all the things De Niro brings to the movie, I wouldn't say there's like a subtle arc of that, yeah. you know, in the background. Yeah. So I like everything that I just said as a part of the movie, <laughs> but I agree that he's the only one that could be nominated great in this category. detail when they say De Niro's on the exclusion list oh, at yeah. the link. Yeah. It's such a great, oh, like, which, term by the way, art. we've learned recently is really easy to get around because Chris and I talked about this on The Watch, but like, remember when the guy ran on the field during... Uh, during the baseball playoffs. Yes. And then immediately, like, went on podcast. Just went live. It was like, I lost two teeth. But the thing is, I was already banned. Yeah. They were like, yeah. you're banned. Yeah, banned again. Stadium bands are like, okay, guys, n nice gesture, but how are we really enforcing this? Oh, wait, this? by the way, I'm sorry. We, we forgot one major thing for what's age the worst, which is the Philadelphia Phillies World Championship erasure of this movie. I have that. Okay. I have that coming up. Okay, sorry. Yeah. All right. Um, recasting Couch, I we, we can breeze through some of these. I had Amy Adams as Nikki. Just to, like, have, like, the closer oh. coming in off out of the bullpen. Like, and maybe make it a little bit more who's he going to choose at the end, mm. if that mattered at all. But how do you be like, Amy, listen, I've got a great part for you. <laughs> You're going to be naked in the shower with a day player. There's going to be blood and screaming. It'll be cut up into really artful flashbacks. And then I want you to sit and watch some bad dancing <laughs> and whisper. Can you do that for me, Amy? I, I'm just saying, this, this is the one that popped into my head. Okay. Half-ass internet research. Do you guys have any other recasting couches? Uh, Half-ass internet research. Just a few things. According to Jackie Weaver, um, David O. Russell and, and she and De Niro developed backstories for their characters and decided that Pat Sr. and Dolores still made love twice a week. <laughs> So I thought that was cool. She also said... Uh, <laughs> I got nothing. Jackie Weaver was also responsible for making sure that the dance scores aggregated out to five. Mm. Because initially, like, the, the, the third score was still too low and it would have been below five. But they would have been reacting as if they won the bet and she fixed it. So shout out to who, Jackie who Weaver. Held the, who holds the remotes during these voice weekly? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, um, and then in the novel, like I said, the main character has... Uh, 
somewhat more severe issues and has been in the institution for different eagle season too and it's a different eagle season don't you think though that like as an actor i know you were referring to you know which one 2006 i believe okay that that like bradley cooper gets to play a part where everyone who he sees is just like you look great you lost weight you look so good like actors like i know apex again there's a reason for that yeah uh david o russell i think so yep this is this in the fighter like kind of like that this is like he's and and the fighter, which is a, I think a really good movie, is something that potentially another director could have made. Although it has one of the things it shares with this movie is like that true love of place mm-hmm. and detail, uh, and like the way that the place is shaping the people yep. and vice versa. Very very similar in the two movies, but this is like a movie that only David O. Russell could have made and Silver Linings. And there's, there's obviously Huckabee's is like that. Amsterdam is like that. American Hustle is like that. But this is, I think, the the one where the the energy is like wild enough. Because after this, I think it he starts sort of dialing it back. Yeah. Uh, but also contained enough and in a in a basically a happy romantic story. But he caught lightning. Like it yeah. also it translated. Like people bought what he was selling in a way that just on the in terms of the marketplace, I don't know if it happened that way again. Jennifer Lawrence certainly apex bound. She does this, wins an Oscar, and is in Hunger Games in the same year. Yeah. Um, the only blemish on that is that House at the End of the Street is also released this year, which is a horror movie. I think she had shot, shot before. before. Um, Bradley Cooper. I think this is a very interesting conversation because it's mm. basically movie star Bradley Cooper, who's in Silver Linings Playbook and American Sniper, versus Otor Bradley Cooper. Yeah, like like if you want like to talk Star about Stars born, born, yeah, I think would be the for me would be the competition. Um, this is like I think he's a a truly great actor, and I think this is like about a good a showcase of of like why he's good and how he's good as you ever get. I I think exactly that. I just feel like there's a there's a inflection point where for ten years he's playing the part that everyone else thinks he is, and then he has an opportunity to show us everything that yeah. he is, almost to a wildly vulnerable degree. And from this point on, he gets to call his own shots, which has led to some great successes, um, but also leads to, you know, I I mean this without I don't mean this as a judgment, but it leads to Maestro, which is what he wants to show us about his abilities. I think that and his he, this interests. is his apex mountain, and I think that through Stars Born and Maestro, he has been efforting to build an addition onto Apex Mountain mm-hmm. that he can still call his own. If that makes any sense, if anything about Apex Mountains makes any sense. What about sports fandom in movies? Has it ever been done better? Even though, even though I have some questions about the sports fandom, but like, has the depiction of the way a team can basically govern your emotional stability ever been done? No, this is the best. That's it's the best. It's like that, this in that, Fever Pitch, right? Yeah. That type of sports fandom, yes. Yeah. The only type I recognize, <laughs> yes, because I don't actually care about the sport. Anything else for Apex Mountain? No, I mean, director, actor, and actress. Yeah. I think Upper Darby on film, you yes. know, just broadly, like not always the most cinematic location. Um, Picking Nits. Oh, here we go. Yeah, thank you. Uh... It takes until Tiff shows up at the house to do the the juju mm-hmm. uh, monologue for anyone to acknowledge that the Phillies just won so, the World Series. So this is, it's almost unforgivable. It almost would have been better to me if they hadn't said it at all. Because I, know. I understand there are people who are Eagles first and everything else fifth. I, that makes sense to me. There are people who don't like baseball or and, whatever. And we are living proof of the Phillies won the World Series and it didn't change how we felt about the Eagles season. It's not like we were like, the Eagles get a gimme 
they they, they, right. they can do whatever they want because we're but, just basking in this. But the civic experience of winning a championship, which had not happened in almost three decades, was enormous. That was a huge deal. Yes. And it dominated. I mean, even just the fact that there weren't like little car flags and stuff in the background. Like, I understand why there weren't. It would have been a different story, a different movie. But he he chose the year. Yeah. I've related in it to pick. Okay. Yeah, I bet it's, yeah, go. Pat doesn't watch the games. That's my, this is my thing. This is just, Pat is not actually a football fan. Like, I don't know how you grew up in that house, <laughs> in that city, and be that guy and not watch the games. It, it drives it, me insane. Even before the dancing stuff. He's like, it's like on. Nope. He's like standing like next to it. And he's like, he's not even looking at the TV but, screen. I like that. Well, he doesn't yeah, like you football. Would. Yeah. You would. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe you it's can explain his, the psychology. It's to his us. dad's thing that he relates to, you know, the unpredictability of his father's love and attention and affection. There's violence in the house. He's right. He, he's, he's, his, his week and his emotional well being is governed by whatever the Eagles do but and what his father does. I think intellectually that's true. Yes. And like, if you were going to ask, like, why is this constructed that way, that would be the answer. It's insane. Jake, I would watch the game. Jake is talking about like, we have to like challenge these guys at the line of scrimmage, throw bubble screens. Jake's got all 22 film. Yes. Pat's like, oh yeah, Deshaun Jackson's the man. Like he's, he's kind of a casual. I, I'm, I think that works for the movie. I <laughs> okay. don't, I don't, can I, can I add one other thing? Yes, we can. No, we can't. You know what else happened in the fall of oh, 2008? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The election of President <laughs> Barack Hussein Obama well, happened. This is what we get to be, be like a five-hour movie. If it's it's not going to be like Adam Curtis's 2008. You no, know? Like, and I'm not saying that, <laughs> which I would watch, especially if it was centered in around the Lanark Diner. I'm just saying it is an interesting bit of artistic elision to be like, this movie is so radically dialed into one thing that happened in the real world when it was, in fact, quite a momentous fall. I think that could be true, though, to a certain type of family's experience where they're just like, I'm paying attention to what happens in these Eagles games and the rest is noise. That's true. But do you think they'd be so cavalier in today's electoral right. climate, Zach? That's okay. Right. <laughs> what do you think the Solitanos feel about democracy? That's, okay. I have a pretty dark nitpick. All right. Tiff story about Tom Tommy's demise. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Where he dies, mm -hmm. uh, f help, trying to help somebody fix a tire on, on 76, 76 mm -hmm. coming back from the King, King of, of Prussia, Prussia Mall, Mall, which is a 40 minute drive from the, approximately where Tiff lives, it's the other side of the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he, she he goes after dinner. So after dinner, Secret. he's like, "I'm going to drive to the King of Prussia Mall, mm -hmm. 40 minutes away." I, I don't know what the deal was in 2008 with the retail landscape of that particular part of Philadelphia. I feel like Victoria's Secret was in more places. Yeah, I think, I, I I think, like, I think it was probably mall. at the Springfield Mall. Yeah. I think it was probably at the Granite Run Mall. I think that 40 minutes on 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 76 is like a heat check. And I'm it's 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 a very sad end to this fictional cop's life. You, but it was think, a weird thing that she, that Do you think he was buying lingerie for someone else? Do you feel like no, there was more of the story? She's like he was going to Victoria's Secret to get something started. I think she me. like knew. I think she knew he was going. Even. Do you think she blames the King of Prussia Mall? Like, who's the real villain of the movie? I'm just seventy six. Yeah. So you're saying, I are think you criticizing it, the specifics of the, her? Of I'm the questioning map quest whether or not a guy you think the route was as wrong. savvy as him would be like, I'm going to drive forty minutes to to go to this. Victoria's maybe he had Secret. something else to do up there. Maybe sure, his maybe, maybe his parents lived there. Sure. And he was buying lingerie for his. <laughs> Mother and for his wife. I don't know. Um, do you think that uh, Dolores would be wearing a Kevin Cobb jersey? Yes. Mm. Okay. It's a good. There's a good Namdi jersey in this movie. Yeah. Um, 
It's annoyingly hard to repair a broken glass window. He does that in five seconds. Yeah, no, that, that's actually, that's annoying. It's very hard to do. Yeah. And he's just like, he just, he just hoists it into place. Do you feel like there should have been more Eagles mentioned, like by name, <laughs> other than Deshaun Jackson? Like you just said Kevin Cobb, which I just a chill ran down my spine. Yeah. There, was, there was kind of a quarterback controversy that year. Yeah, there was. You feel like, I feel like McNabb in general was a constant source of I think of this just agita. speaks to Pat's, Pat's like familiarity with skill position players, but mm-hmm. la- like a lack of interest in the trenches. Do you think, uh, well, the opposite of Howie Rosen. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think... Well, this is still Joe Banner era, isn't it? You, oh, yeah. Howie was like the VP of yeah. something yeah. or other. Yeah. yeah. Tom Hecker, Joe and Banner. And the, they give the racist fan at the game the Westbrook jersey. That's right. Yeah. That's really weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's unfair. Maybe that guy was a Philanova guy. Free Bryant Westbrook. <laughs> um, do you think that John Ortiz... Like, John Ortiz is always so happy to see Pat, which is one of my low-key favorite things about the movie. But it is weird. Do you feel like... Like, he's very, very But it's because he's dying inside and is having a breakdown about his marriage and his professional career. And then this is a guy who's A, his friend, and and B, makes him feel a little bit better. That's true. Low-key, his excitement over the jersey, where he's like, you look fantastic. I wish I was wearing that. I love that. Um, Sequel, prequel, any other picking nits? I think that's it. Sequel, prequel, prestige TV, all-black cast, or untouchable... It's untouchable. Um, I I guess you could do a Pat Senior and Dolores getting together, like early. What would that be? Oh, like prequel? Early I thought you meant getting together twice a week. No, I guess it would probably be in the seventies, right? Yeah, I I don't want a sequel because I don't think the Solitano family could have survived the Chip Kelly era. <laughs> like I just think that would have just. I mean, what about this? We could be living the sequel right now. I know this is the sequel. This is, this, the this Greenwald is the family is not going to make it <laughs> yeah. through this current era. It's, it's three men with a group chat melting down. <laughs> uh, better with Wayne Jenkins, Danny Trejo, Catherine Hahn, Steve Buscemi, Sam Jackson, J.T. Walsh, Byron Mayo, Harling Mays, or Philip Baker Hall. I do think Philip Baker Hall would be an interesting Pat Senior or a Randy. Yeah. Mm. Um, but if Wayne Jenkins did play Randy. God damn, Pat! I didn't know your dad was Jimmy the Greek. He's giving me 10 points and a motherfucking parlay with your aggregate dance score. You better turn it to Mikhail Baryshnikov real soon or Pat Senior's going away a long fucking time, big boy. <laughs> Wayne would fit into this movie. Yeah. Just fine. I mean, Burn- from Baltimore, he could have been like the guy coming up to get to get Danny. Bernthal yeah. belongs in this movie. I know. We need that energy. You know what we the need spirit- that he could be John Ortiz. The spiritual like them. kind of successor of this film is the bear. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Family energy. Yeah. Unloved second city. Loser energy in yeah. a in a second city. Yeah. Really um, banking it all on sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all there. So probably unanswerable questions. I think we hit a lot of these. Does Pat care about the birds enough? What is the duct tape on Pat's shoes for? Well, that also leads me to, did Pat Solitano Jr. invent contemporary mentor? <laughs> so his shoelaces don't get into <laughs> Pat Solitano Jr. wearing sweatsuits, Carhartt, and chunky New Balance. Yeah, no, it's, it's... It's essentially what most men in Silver Lake wear now. That, that movie, like, uh, literally, yes. It's like, the funny, the movie does not look dated in that respect at all. Yes. Um, um, wait, so it's for your shoelaces? Yeah, it's okay. a thing. Oh, for, for dancing or, or for... I thought he ran so much he was wearing his shoes out but didn't want to buy new ones. No, I'm pretty sure it's it's just like a makeshift Velcro situation. Okay. What did Pat whisper to Nikki? Oh, isn't it like Lost in Translation? It's I think same, it's the uh, same thing. Asante Samuel made the program. Yes. <laughs> um, 
we talked about whether Patty is consistently taking his meds. Uh, can this movie happen after the 2018 Super Bowl? Speaking from my heart, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems like it. Yeah, yeah like I think both, it's both of you. Are. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's evergreen. Yeah, so it doesn't matter that they beat the Patriots in a, in a not in remotely. Fantastic you could fashion. do like Doug's last year. You could do like what's happening right now, and it would be absolutely resonant. Well, to, Zach, to thank you for setting me up here because that leads me to the Andy and Red Z Want Neo Award. Do Tat Tiff and Pat make it past the Dream Team in 2012? If they make it through the dream team, do they make it to Andy Reid's last season? Do they make it past the NFC Championship game with against the Cardinals? Like, so you don't I, think that they have long... I'm, I'm just saying. I don't know if they have much of a future. <laughs> I want it to be otherwise, but I feel like they're too volatile. What does Tiff do? Like, what's her... What's She dances. She lost her job. But they neither of them have income at the we, moment. We haven't discussed not just why she lost her job, but the scene where she talks about it. That's Bradley Cooper's Apex beloved, Mountain at, uh, at the Leonard Diner. Oh he's just like, he's like, were any, were any of them women? He's like literally eating his a, own cheek. Was he a teacher? Have you said that? That's a great scene. It's really good. Um, what piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? The handkerchief. I huh. want the I want the copy of A Farewell to Arms or whatever that he chucks out the yeah. window. I uh, I would like. I think I would go for. Um, the Deshaun Jackson jersey, which is pretty... It's immaculate. Pretty easy easy pick, but I, I like... Some of the literature is great. I, you, I think the... I love Jennifer that, Lawrence as Tiff to just synopsize great novels for me. Yeah, when she, do, when she does she, uh, Lord of the Flies, is sick. Yeah. Zach, like, do you feel like if your son at any point in his life woke you up at four in the morning, but only to talk about Hemingway? Like, what's your... Like, are you like, this is bad in some ways, but like good in others? I think my... Like, the, like Pat Senior later is like... He's like, Dad, I'm doing better. I'm like, I'm like reading books. He's like, do us a favor. I'm yeah. reading. Books. <laughs> I'd be like, do me a favor. Yeah. Let me sleep. It is funny though. I do wonder, like, if your son woke you up at three in the morning, but was like, mm -hmm. why aren't we running more slants for AJ Brown? Do you think that you would just be like, yes? I would be like, this yes. is the way. Yeah. If he was like, there were dance scenes in the book, <laughs> which were boring, but I liked it. Yeah. I would be like, well, this is kind of funny. I guess. Zach sleeps with a pencil over his ear, like yeah. Matt Patricia. You'd be right. ready to. Uh, Coach Finstock Award for the best life life lesson. Um, you can play Ride the Lightning for a baby. Is that is that one? I don't know. I don't know about that one. <laughs> Did you guys have one from the movie? I mean, I I I think the uh, you know if you drink a lot and get in a fight, you could really bond with a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like I learned that. That's right. Always stick up for your brother. Yeah. Uh, who won the movie? Do you think we would do that for each other at a tailgate? Definitely. I know he would. I know Zach would. Zach would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get behind Zach. I've, I've been on public golf courses with Zach. Uh, who won the movie? This is a complicated one. Mm. I think it's Lawrence. I think it's Jennifer Lawrence on this most recent go-around. But Bradley Cooper is the soul of the movie. I also think it does the most for Bradley. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, I, th I think that that... I think you're watching his life change... Yes, in this moment, in real time. So the in terms of like the implications, like the, it had the biggest effect for him. Do do I think that she's the best thing in it? Yeah, I do. I also think his journey since this is like being shot out of a cannon. It yeah. is not abated. He's been on a consistent journey since the success of this movie and what it afforded him. Whereas she had a more dramatic and immediate success in the 
six months to two years after, but then had some stumbles before regrouping. She should have voiced a raccoon. That's the that's the lesson. That raccoon's great. Yeah. It's a great raccoon. Um, Producer Craig, what do you think? You know, I had never seen this. This is a real blind No spot. way. Yeah. I don't know why. I, it's always been on my list, but I missed it. I, in that's strange. This seems like it would be right up your alley. I know. I don't know what it was. I also think there's something too, like I'm from the Bay Area and I just think West Coast in general, like I, I love stuff like this because the, the like East Coast, like sports insanity, like insular family, that stuff is just not like my dad was a huge Niner fan, but it was not, it was not like this movie. Yeah. Uh, and I just think like, I, I don't have any friends who like, live and die football or any sports team quite like the Politano family. Or yeah. Is it Politano? How do you say it? Um, Solitano. Sol- Solitano. Oh, oh Solitano. Um, so like th- that stuff is always Lonely. very interesting to me because I, it still hasn't crossed over to the West Coast. Like I don't know if it ever will. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's because you got Kyle just drawing up these beautiful <laughs> motions. So everything's easy. Everything's uh, easy. Yeah. But uh, in general, you know, the funny thing about this movie is I'm so glad it was made in 2012 just because it would definitely be a TV show today. Yeah. And everything would be like stretched out and darker. I think the one good thing about this movie is that if you actually like sat down and really dug into each character, kind of dark. Very. But you're moving so quick, you don't really think about it, and they actually just kind of use the darkness almost for humor. It's ve- it's a very funny movie. When somebody's like, we didn't talk about it enough. How funny! It's it a is. well-paced, delightful, funny romantic movie. Yeah. And even the, I mean, the ending is like very satisfying, like sweet rom-commy ending. I, so the ending was this time around mm-hmm. when I when I watched it for this, and they get to the to the, she opens up the letter and it's yeah. like, dear Tiffany. I was like, holy shit, it's getting fucking humid in here right now like it I know, it's like the when it's like when harry met sally at the end yeah like yeah. a little bit also the de niro thing where he's just like he gives him i mean everything gets fixed yeah it's a magical fantasy what does it say don't fuck this up yeah he's like go follow that go follow that girl yeah. even the She's plot of the you. movie is like a little bit like just like a dark adult disney channel original movie it's like the big dance competition yes, at the end happens on the same day fantasy. of the big game it's complete storybook fantasy yeah so you liked it i did yeah all right uh but isn't the real lesson is we're saying like they got together, everything's beautiful, and then they lost the championship game. This is this is the most Philadelphia thing about it. But like Pat, when you start Pat Jr. doesn't care. Do you think they should have added that? Like, would that have been a funny end scene if they lose in the championship game? Oh, I mean, what if what if this movie had the like the biopic thing where over the credits oh, yeah, it was where like it's said with like, like, like Sean Sean Jackson <laughs> would be run out of town. After. Yeah, and it shows him in a red in a Redskins jersey yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that would have been pretty good. Devastating. Uh Andy, Zach, thank you so much. Go birds. The go birds. Did you, <laughs> what about so an eagle? Mean. Did you need a cameo from an eagle? It, this is crying out for Jason Kelsey. This is like... Oh, I thought you meant like an animal. Like, it, a, like, bird, any, like a bald well, eagle. That, that this cool would have been like, if they made this about today, it would have just been Jason Kelsey's in like a third of... No, he would have walked through the hotel and been like, go after her, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> I I appreciate, they don't show a game in this. You kind of see like a little bit of that Dallas is game. Is that a rights issue though? They couldn't probably... Yeah, I'm sure it's... Yeah. But, it, but it works. And I feel but, like that is the relationship that most people have. It's not like an Eagles walking yeah. through that door. So I, I appreciate they, it. They don't even make it into the stadium. I mean, I think, I don't know this. Maybe also very true for re- most people. research about this, that like, I don't know if David O. Russell is a football fan. Like I, 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 I don't think he is. I yeah. love, I think one of the things that makes the movie great is that it is, it is telling an emotional and psychological story and it's not getting lost it's in the like details. It's kind of like how Taylor Sheridan doesn't really like cowboys. He just, you know, it's more about. Just owns a lot of horses. He, yeah. he loves special ops though. I, I still think the football dialogue's not quite there. I know. It's still, it's just, it doesn't actually depict what like a true the football fan. The closest football fan, the real football fan is Jake, I think. Yeah. But and is, then even he 
it seems like he's reading like a kind of cue card about a football. I think team. it's Jennifer Lawrence. Like when she's like reading the scores and stuff and she knows like where they were playing like is, and all that. This I feel is like. how we all talked about football until like six years ago. Everybody's nuts. Yeah. Maybe Nobody you're right. said bubble then, screen. Nobody said quarters. And then Barnwell started being like <laughs> yes. EPA. Do you know what? Do you yeah. know what defense was? Like, defense was: Did Brian Dawkins kill someone? Yeah. Or did he behead someone with his body? Good defense. <laughs> did the other team score? Bad defense. That was it. Yeah. That was it. It's a simpler, more pure. Maybe time. that's right. All right, guys. Thank you, Andy, Zach, producer Craig. Uh, we'll be back next week with the Rockets. 